Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. I'm your host, Jenny Carlson. And we come to you now on this, the final night of Cobra Kai premiere week, because all that's left is the premiering. It's Karate Miss Eve. It's Karate Miss Eve once again. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Christmas, you know, like other... Christmas comes earlier every year, Like religions where holidays are not determined by the Julio-Claudian calendar, Christmas shifts around, and you never know when Christmas will land. That said, it's a weird year, right? So we are now dropping the last of our four episodes that were coming in the week of the new Cobra Kai season because we fell behind on our calendar. We decided to unload all of our last recaps and reviews all at the same time. That said, we are working up to the wire as we did last year. This year feels a little different. It feels different in a couple of ways. First, they've had an in-person premiere. Last year was a virtual premiere. Second, there's just a lot of spoilers out there floating around. So Mm -hmm. it feels like the show's already happened, but yet several of us, and by several I mean many, are committed to holding on and waiting till the last possible minute to find out what is happening on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, I think the weird thing about these streaming platforms is that they take a lot of cues from the tech industry in general. And so it seems like in the tech industry, whenever the new video game comes out or whenever the new Apple device comes out, tons of people have already played it or, or messed with it. So, yeah, so I think for better or for worse, I think that that is definitely one of these things that the streaming platforms have inherited from software and you know once these things get into the ether they just kind of escape and take on a life of their own promotion has always been viral right mm-hmm. even before there was the internet and the concept of virality like that's how things spread but once that becomes sort of wired into the system as, yeah. as a feature and not a bug uh-huh. then this is what happens, right? Yeah, now it's the intended effect. So this day has been bananas. We're actually recording a late intro. I had a completely different intro in the works. This has now been scrapped because we wanted to get as up-to-date as possible. Today, we had an episode drop that we guessed it on in the Waiting in the Sky podcast, mm-hmm. talking about Cobra Kai, what else? So again, we've mentioned it a couple times, but it's here. Check it out and like and subscribe. He's got a great pod and he's a great dude. What else is new? I mean, obviously the internet has exploded. There are multiple scenes out there that you can see. There's a nine minute opening to the first episode that's up on the official Cobra Kai accounts, probably as a way to mitigate with the spoilers. Um, yeah. They're just releasing this stuff right and left. I think all the cast members all also have like pictures and exclusive content that they can drop on their socials. I just saw Rose Bianco post a weird picture of her in some sort of cowboy outfit that, you know, apparently maybe there's some Halloween shenanigans this year. Maybe that's one reason why people aren't freaking out more about the spoilers is that the premiere happened in person in Los Angeles and the cast were almost all there or all there. You know, Billy and Ralph drove up in the Eagle Fang. They both were looking very sharp. Oh, that sharp. was great. Check that out on social. Did you see that kind of like photo booth thing that looked like the the deck on the water? Oh, that looked like the, the wheel? Uh, balance wheel playset? Yes, yeah. the balance wheel playset. Yes, thank you, Colin. They have, they have a scale version of, to a human scale, of the balance wheel playset that people took pictures in front of. And it just looked like a great time. Some of our pals from the fandom were there, and it was lovely to see their pictures. And I know that there were some sweet speeches that Peter mentioned 
Pialani actually sent us the videos. So I'm going to watch those tonight of all the speeches because I've heard the word Miyagi-verse recurs a couple times. Excellent. Yes. So yeah, that was really exciting to see because it came in sort of blew the spoiler stuff, if not completely out of the water, like shoved it to the side. It blew the doors off the joint. It did. It did. But I guess we should just cut right to the cocktail and then give our recap of the last two episodes of season four. Absolutely. So for those of you who (laughs) might be just joining us, we changed it up this year by doing a cocktail, either highlighting a character or or something that caught our attention in each episode. We started with like a Suntory highball. We've gone through Flaming Dr. Pepper's. Yeah. We've made some real concoctions this year. Indeed. And, uh, some of them were... have been simple, elegant improvisations. Yeah. Some of them are refreshing porch sippers. Some of them are late night. One or two of them are jet fuel. But Indeed. they're all interesting in their own way. So for the finale, what is our finale cocktail, Jenny? Tonight's finale cocktail, I am calling the Queen Cobra. In Excellent. honor of who else? The star of Cobra Kai, Tori Nichols, who will figure prominently into the two episodes we are discussing tonight. And it is a cocktail that I have had for a while. It's a variation on a cocktail that I've enjoyed for a while because the now late queen and her mother were fans of the Gin Dubonnet cocktail, mm. which is basically like you mix gin with a, a fortified wine that is Dubonnet. And that's very red. So, you know, that's often called the Queen's Cocktail. And Queen Elizabeth II liked to drink it with just gin, Dubonnet, a bit of lemon, and ice. But the original sort of form of a gin and Dubonnet cocktail had bitters. And because of Tori's life and the way she sees the world, it seemed appropriate that a Mm. Queen-themed cocktail for the Queen Cobra would have a dash of bitterness. So I mix this cocktail together with two parts Dubonnet, which is the red Dubonnet. Dubonnet rouge, as you might say, if you live in another part of the world. One part Gordon's dry gin, and then threw in a generous dash of bitters. Uh, mm-hmm. We chose Angostura bitters. Okay. And then you get some citrus in there, shake it up with ice, then strain it into a glass and add a couple of ice cubes. You've got yourself a Queen Cobra cocktail. Then it carries a little kick. It's deceptively, it's tasty, but it's got a kick. I love it. So, yeah, so that is our cocktail. What is your review of it? Uh, my review is that it is definitely, like I said, if the spectrum is easy porch sipping to jet fuel, this definitely it splits the uprights right down the middle. It is a nice, refreshing cocktail. You could do it before meal. You could do it after meal. It's very versatile. It's a real... It's a real center fielder of a cocktail. You can deploy it in a number of ways and have a great time. One irony of this is that Tori would say she would never be able to drink such a cocktail because she can't access the things that the upper crust use and like name brand, you know, fortified wine, name brand gin. That might be too much to expect and yet, a cocktail attached to her. Well, if you want to do it Tory style, then yes, go get whatever fortified wine you can find and whatever gin you can find at the local corner store and mix this up and you'll have a nice party punch. That's exactly right. Yeah. But this is what we had in our cabinet. Ergo, it's our own personal style party punch. Indeed. In honor of the Queen Cobra and with a little nod to the Queen. Fantastic. Yes, indeed. Well, that is... All she wrote for our items of interests 
for season four, so all we have left is the recapping. Are we ready to get into it? We are. So y'all are used to the way we've done this before, which is that we'll recap an episode, and then we'll go into analysis, MVPs, and Easter eggs. What we're going to do is go through, put a break in the middle of the two episodes, and you know we'll mention where the end snakes are, and then we're just going to keep going till the end, and then treat them all as one big episode. Now, Because they kind of do form one big episode. You could definitely cut these episodes together into like a movie presentation. By and large, you know, this is all part of the same unit. Mm-hmm. And with, with a definite midpoint that happens at the end of the first of the two episodes. That said, we're changing the rules of our MVPs a little bit. So if you want to play along to speculate as to who we might pick or who you think we should have picked, we will be picking MVPs from over both episodes. That is to say, because the All-Valley Tournament has both male and female champions this year, we will be picking one guy and one girl that we see as our MVPs from these two last yeah, two episodes. We'll still be picking two MVPs for two episodes, but we have to pick one boy and one girl. Yeah, they will go. It's not just that there will be one per episode. It will be two characters that span the two episodes. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Hopefully that makes sense to us. Without further ado, we should probably get into it. Well then, let's get into it with season four, episodes nine and 10, The Fall and The Rise. The Fall and The Rise, in that order. Ladies and gentlemen, You've been waiting a long time, but we're finally here. So, we open cold on the 51st annual All-Valley Under-18 Karate Championship. That's right, it's karate time. Daryl is opening the tournament with a rousing speech on the blue mats that he so loves. Yeah, for whatever reason, you would think the 50th would be big, but... They have gone even bigger and badder with the 51st annual tournament. So many flashing lights. Anthony and Amanda in the audience. And wow, are we getting a montage now? Yeah, we get a full video package of intros for all the dojos. Miyagi-Do, Cobra Kai, Eagle Fang. Well, all the protagonists' dojos for sure. I don't see any all-star karate or Topanga karate in that mix. But Sorry, Topanga. Yeah, not since the ESPN 50 on 50 about Daniel have we seen anything this intricate. It's pretty fantastic, and may I say, Daryl is killing it as the MC. Anyway, we introduce Daniel LaRusso with a montage of Miyagi-Do rapidly being whipped into shape with Sam in front of the formation. She's the leader here, right? And Hawk learning to defend a kick from Daniel on the Okinawan sparring deck that he engineered. They run out like the heroes they are at the tournament very satisfying to see when you consider that the last tournament daniel was sort of a dark horse sensei the the dojos are bigger the contest is bigger the crowd is definitely bigger you know if i didn't know any better i'd say these guys had netflix money astonishing then comes cobra kai's intro which shows the kids using the fancy machines to get tournament ready and robbie and tori sparring one-on-one clearly into it they are into it. Yeah, Daryl calls them out, and Terry and Kreese walk out in tandem with red lights and smoke, and the students behind them. I mean, I know that there are other dojos. I see the Topanga Blue Keys. I just, we're not going to hear much from them at all. Yeah. And we have the All Valley debut of Eagle Fang Karate. 
As Daryl asks, does this newcomer have what it takes to win them all? He mentions that Johnny is the sensei but omits Johnny's titles, though he does note that Miguel, a student at Eagle Fang, is defending his title. Yeah, the Eagle Fang video package highlights Devin and Miguel, I noticed. Yeah, as this all is happening, we get some awkward looks between Daniel, Terry Silver, Johnny. Everybody's feeling a little jittery. Well, Terry Silver's not jittery, let's be clear. Yeah, a lot of smirking in the Cobra Kai corner. But Daryl reminds us, it's karate time. This pageantry is at a 10 out of 10, and we are here for it. It's karate time. All right, well, since we're not leaving the All-Valley Arena, but we're going to now go down ringside as Johnny and Daniel run parallel pep talks. Of course, Daniel has to bring Mr. Miyagi into it, as always. I still remember my first All-Valley, where I stood here proudly with my sensei. Johnny's speech is all about the glory, the conditions of the bet, although the conditions of the bet make for an odd pep talk. If Cobra Kai wins, our dojo closes for good. That means no more Eagle Fang. Johnny says that we have a reigning champion. Daniel says that we have Miyagi-Do. Yeah, they gather their students around them, give them these pep talks. The senseis are really only talking about themselves, right? To a certain extent, this tournament is about them and their egos and not the students. And their awkward looks between Miguel and Sam because obviously they're fresh off that bizarre prom night and Daniel and Johnny are exchanging awkward looks of their own as they remind the kids of the stakes. Stakes that those students should never be made to bear, but you know they're just coming off that bizarre 34-year rivalry. And Johnny calls Miguel over as his pep talk concludes, and he tells him he knows what's been going on with him, because Johnny can tell that Miguel's kind of low energy. Of course, Miguel is reeling from Johnny mistaking him for Robbie, and Johnny explains Miguel's feelings to him, unawares, presuming his problem is not with Johnny himself, but with Sam, because of course it's girl trouble, right? Well, I mean, politifact equals half true on that one. Johnny says, My junior prom was an absolute shit show. Oh, now, what, where is that flashback? I know. That would explain so much about how we got here, right? Yeah. I mean, the deal is, in this exchange with Miguel, Johnny's using a line that would have gone over like gangbusters with season one Miguel, right? He explains his own junior prom was a shit show. He's relatable, right? They're the Mm. same. And that connected with Miguel just a year or so ago, but now it rings a little hollow given that it's so off base from where Miguel is at. Anyway, Johnny couldn't be more wrong about what's bothering Miguel and what's motivating him, and Miguel's just not into being badass on those terms right now. Well, let's cut over to ringside at the Cobra Kai corner. Crease is telling the students that they don't just get the tournament win, they get the glory. I have had students with all the talent in the world squander their moment. He says, do not let history repeat itself. Do not let emotions cloud your judgment. Do not let anything stand in the way of your victory. As opposed to Daniel, who says, history repeats itself, try and you'll succeed. Wow. Anyway, Chris uses his pep talk to throw some serious shade. Silver says, That's an order. And we're all going to follow Sensei Chris's orders today, aren't we? You and the captain make it happen. Welcome to Patton. Americans traditionally love to fight. Real Americans love the sting of battle. (laughs) Cut to the skills competition where Dimitri has a last name. Dimitri's last name is Alexopoulos. How awesome. It only took four years. 
He's up first. He's going to be showcasing commas. And we see a table of multiple judges behind him. He kicks ass. He was so dubious about his talents here. And he kicks ass. Yeah, Dimitri's on the commas. I'm not familiar with these as they are not a standard Ninja Turtle weapon. You see, I'm a Donatello man. Hold them both. What uh, Donatello used to use? This is my favorite turtle. I like turtles. Fair. You like turtles. We get it. <laughs> Devin breaks boards. Chris breaks cinder blocks. Miguel is also doing kata, as is Robbie. And Kenny also is breaking some boards. Yeah, Kenny's breaking boards and he looks terrifying while doing so. But the music is epic. The music is so epic that it comprises an entire disc of the soundtrack CD. It's all the music from all the other episodes and then one full disc of all the music from this episode. I've also seen members of other dojos in this montage, so that's exciting. See, there are other people in the valley doing karate. And the montage ends with all the fighters that we just talked about bowing and the sensei's cheering. Daryl asks, Are you kidding me? Is this the shout-out that we've been clamoring for? I didn't realize... Are you karate kidding me shout-out? Were we clamoring for that kind of shout-out? I, I... The specific... If, if any of the writers of the show are listening, or if John, Josh, or Hayden are listening, we need Dimitri to say LaRusso Mance, referring to the LaRusso's house. Let me be even more plain. If are you kidding me, a relatively common phrase is a shout-out to our podcast... We thank you. We do thank you. We thank you for your pains. Okay, you know what? All right, I'll take it. Yes. It's, it's at the karate tournament, and Daryl says, are you kidding me? At the karate tournament. I get it. Wink. But if you want to say LaRusso Mance in season five. I'm hoping for a LaRusso Mance in season five. I'm on pins and needles. We'll Clearly. Well, we'll know that everybody's been listening. At the- you know, the reason Daryl says, are you kidding me? Is because then he underscores that Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang clearly came to play as the scoreboard shows us how things stand. So everyone's on the scoreboard at this point. The montage then speeds up as we advance in the skills competition, showing mostly Robbie and the Cobra Kai's perform. Robbie's fighting positions are terrifying, but the real nightmare is how he screams, just like Terry Silver. And from the sidelines, Terry relishes in the expression on Johnny and Daniel's faces. Terrence, is everything okay? It's Mitch with the bow staff, Sam with the sai, Tori has the katana. I have no idea if anybody has any nunchucks. Hawk breaks boards like he breaks hearts for Miyagi-Do. Yeah, we get a moment of Hawk breaking boards with intimidating force and focus, but then he misses the highest board. Yeah, Hawk has the first fuck-up of the evening, followed quickly by Mitch. Mitch accidentally twirls his bow staff away, and things get worse when the Cobra Kai's dominate with Kyler breaking boards with his head and Robbie sounding like a one-man army with his fight yells. Oh man, those yells though. Kyler breaks an entire stack of blocks and Robbie's intense. Ah! Cut to back on the ringside. Daryl tells us that Cobra Kai has taken the leave, but now it's time to move on to the qualifying rounds. I bet everyone is relieved that skills are over, including me. I never quite got the why of the skills. Well, fortunately for us, we have Daryl there to guide us through the tournament and tell us how we're doing. Miyagi-Do is doing okay, but Cobra Kai beat them in skills. Eagles drop to sixth place. 
Johnny, of course, is flummoxed by this, but Devin is once again here to save his bacon. Yeah, Johnny asks how the hell this happened, and Devin starts explaining how tournament rankings work. To catch fun points, we need to win as many matches in the qualifying rounds as possible. In a quick bit of handy exposition, Johnny doesn't give a shit about math. He says he just wants to know what they need to do to beat the competition. Well, they need math. They need math. They need math. They need math. Sorry, everyone. Math is needed. Math. Mm-hmm. So they need to win as many matches as possible because the more wins they get, Devin explains, the further we get as a team, the tighter the vice is around Cobra Kai's metaphorical balls. Okay. Fortunately, she's smart, but she also speaks Johnny. Good, now you're speaking my language. She's basically the penny to Johnny's Inspector Gadget. Ah, a punching bag. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Brain, follow Uncle Gadget. And stay close to him. High on the balcony above the ring, the Karate High Council is once again, this time they're bickering among themselves as they simultaneously pat themselves on the back for these changes to the tourney. Yeah, George gives a satisfied smirk at what he calls the quote-unquote the thrill of skills. He knew the crowd would be into the suggestion. And Sue says she was always on board. It was Ron who was standing in their way. Ron, the only one who's not on the balcony right now. And Daryl chimes in that Ron even botched up their parking garage contract. The stakes apparently are high for Ron. And Sue says, The next meeting, I'm calling for a vote of no confidence. They want Ron out as president, but where is Master Ron? Before we can hear even more reasons as to why the High Council is not that into Ron, there's a tapping on Daryl's mic. Down at center ring, Ron is here to hype up the new gender championship divisions. Just imagine women doing karate despite their tiny hollow bones. And with them, we enter a new era. Ron is here to present our All Valley Karate Championship Attorney Celebrity Grand Marshal. He tells us he's introducing a multi-Grammy Award winning international superstar and the board is cringing because they can't imagine who it could be. Did we know who it would be the first time we saw this? I don't think anybody could have guessed who it was going to be. Because indeed, it was going to be Carrie Underwood. Ladies and gentlemen, here to sing her hit song and bring the action to a complete standstill, please welcome UMG recording artist Carrie Underwood singing her hit, The Moment of Truth from The Karate Kid. It only makes sense that in the Miyagi-verse, Carrie Underwood sings Karate Kid songs as her own hits. Hello, all It's true. Carmen, Yaya, Amanda, and Moon are thrilled. Ron says her husband's a client. Yeah, Ron scurries up to the balcony. He explains that Carrie's husband is a client. Ron fixed a crown fracture in his maxillary incisor. Imagine saying that three times fast. George, Sue, and the entire High Council are delighted. George tells Ron the High Council never doubted him for a minute. Yeah. And Carrie looks awesome in Eagle Fang Red, so we launch into the qualifying matches while she sings. This one's yours. It's great to hear the moment of truth and neat to see it in this kind of montage, the way that the best around worked in the original Karate Kid. Different, not something I would have expected, but fun. Well, we cross cut to our preliminaries as the song plays on and naturally all our protagonists advance. Yeah, Robbie wins and he and Johnny make eye contact just like Johnny and Daniel did during the best around montage of the Karate Kid. Ask 
Sam wins her match, so does Miguel, of course. Kenny defeats a hapless Topanga member, so does Hawk. And Dimitri is thrilled to get some hits in at all, as is Bert. Yeah, Bert brandishes his fist for Johnny once again, like he did in the previous tournament, and he gets in a hit. You did it, guy. And Sam and Tori continue to dominate. Robbie wins again, and Johnny tries to pivot to cheering for Bert, but Bert's down, so he can't rally that way. Dimitri gets his first win, and he looks delighted, like, me? You gave it to me? Wow. Wow. And Tori nails somebody in the face, and Robbie sweeps the leg and gets a point. Daniel and Johnny are concerned as Crease and Silver gloat smugly. Hawk wins. He looks grateful and happy. That's I love this version of Hawk. And Miguel wins, and he makes eye contact with Robbie, who like nods knowingly. Like all expectations are that they're going to be facing off. Devin drops her opponent, does an elbow bump and a high five with Johnny, of course. As Devin demolishes her opponent, Carrie Underwood finishes her song. Miyagi Do has advanced to second overall by the next scene. Yeah, we have Chris lining up to fight Kyler with Daniel on the sidelines when Sam comes over to say that Dimitri just won his last match, which puts him in the finals with her and Hawk. So they have three fighters still alive, but then Daniel says the cursed phrase to Chris. Come on, Chris, you got this. Which is what Johnny said to Bert right before he went down. So I, yeah, I'm not, I don't have a good feeling about this. You think you have it, but you so don't have it. It's at this moment that Chris gets demolished by Kyler. As Kenny annihilates Nate, Daniel flashes back on the drum punch from Karate Kid 2. Now that's interesting. And then Daniel sees another Miyagi-Do fall to another Miyagi-Do technique. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, Cobra Kai drops a Miyagi-Do using the punch technique that Daniel taught Robbie at the dealership back in season one. And Kreese laughs in delight on the sidelines. So at this moment, both Daniel and Sam realize that Robbie has been leaking Miyagi-Do techniques to Cobra Kai. Back in the ring. Daryl is still hype as he ushers us into the quarterfinals and he stands in the center of the mats with Eagle Fangs on one side, Miyagi-Do on the other, and Cobra Kai lined up behind him. Cobra Kai just dwarfs those other two dojos and just imagine if Miyagi Fang had stayed together, if Johnny and Daniel hadn't given into their pride, they could have really given Cobra Kai a run for their money as one big team. Daryl says, Things are about to get intense. This man has exactly the affect that viewers like I need to follow his exposition about how the point tallies will work. Yeah, Daryl fills us in on the quarterfinal deets. And since the points get higher in each round, it's still any dojo's game. Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang still technically have a chance. You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. First up, Miguel fights like his dream warrior self and makes quick work of it. And then Tori fights Devin and smacks her out, gaining a point. But Johnny yells to the ref that Tori was out of bounds. The ref takes no notice. One more point, and Tori's got it. Huh, that's weird. Well, at any rate, Miguel advances. As you said, Devin falls to Tori. Eagle Fang is now out of the running for Girls All Valley Champ because having only one girl in your dojo isn't actually representation. Johnny tries to console Devin by saying that Tori's met longer than she has, but Devin doesn't feel bad. Yeah, Devin takes it well, and if you check the background during this scene, you can see that Bert is into it. Yeah, if you want to feel great, hit pause there and look at the expressions on not only Bert, Miguel, and, and other people's faces. It's probably the same look you've got on the, your face right now, too. Like, it, it, it's, it feels like the actors are laughing along. 
And Johnny asked Devin, because she, she hasn't lost her ability to do math, if there's even a chance. And Devin says that if the right female fighters get eliminated and Miguel makes it to the final and he wins, then there's a chance. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? More like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Devin confirms what we need to know. If the right girls get stomped and Miguel makes it to the final and he wins, then Eagle Fang can just do it. Yeah, Johnny looks encouragingly at Miguel, but Miguel looks less than comforted by this. Cut to scene 10. Ringside Daniel confronts Robbie about his treachery. Robbie says he'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, Robbie exudes a kind of evil zen here. The ultimate teen hubris of a kid who thinks he's got it all figured out and really, really doesn't, right? Yeah, Daniel says all that Robbie cares about is winning. Robbie didn't learn anything. Mr. Miyagi would be flipping his bonsai tree right now if he were here to see this. Bonsai tree. Man, Daniel really is like the man who knocks here. Don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am the one who knocks. No, no, not that guy. This guy. No, no, never that quiet. Ah, but this place is too cold for hell. I'll devil portrait, no further. The person who evokes the sound that reminds Macbeth of his guilt. Mm. The person who haunts the perpetrator. Because Daniel has already, like an apparition, come to Robbie at the Mini Mart at Reseda Flats. And, and, you know, he was rebuffed. Mm -hmm. And now he comes to Robbie here at the tournament and deals out some Miyagi-Do wisdom mm -hmm. that Robbie really can't ignore. But Robbie tries to give Daniel a piece of his mind. Oh, yeah. Robbie declares, You know, everybody thinks their way is the only way. You, my dad, Cobra Kai. The truth is, it doesn't matter which way you fight as long as it works. And I'll use whatever it takes to win. Daniel wants to know the big why. Why? And says, Never put passion in front of principle. Because even if you win... And Robbie looks bothered by this. And I'm good. I mean, Robbie should think about what he's doing. Cut to... The mat. Where Dimitri defeats an unnamed all-star karate competitor and is headed to the semifinals. Wow. Kyler rolls up on Hawk in an attempt to psych him out. Yeah, Eli is celebrating on the sidelines when Kyler and some of his pilot fish glide by. And they're giving us another helpful bit of exposition, right? Kyler says Dimitri's lucky. Your little friend's lucky you didn't have to face Cobra Kai. Can't say the same for you, though. Lip. And Eli looks a little down. The new moon rising, though, maybe literally, as Moon walks up to him and tells him to ignore Kyler. Ignore him. He's always been a bully, but that's not who you are. Moon arrives to unpsych the psych out. As Moon says, he's a bully, but that's not who you are. But Hawk says, I don't know who I am anymore. And Moon's response to that is that Eli is not defined by his haircut. Like, do for your energy, your confidence. As Mr. Rogers might have said, it's Eli she likes. It's not the gi he wears, not the mohawk in his hair. It's Eli she likes. Hmm. Yeah, Moon likes him for his energy. And what is that energy? It's the, I'm the guy who's going to win this whole fucking thing energy. Well, he rediscovers that energy because she kisses him. Oh, yeah. She wants that base chakra. That's, <laughs> yes, she does. And she tells him he's got a fight to win. And as he walks up the line of Miyagi-Do's, to step onto the mat, we get an incredible return of Hawk's guitar riff theme. 
Everything good? Never better. Hawk says, I know who I am now. And who's that? Daniel asks. You guys didn't win this whole fucking thing. They gave the F-bomb to Eli, to little Eli Moskowitz. Yes. Not nearly enough F-bombs in the Karate Kid movies. I'm glad we've advanced as a culture. Many wonderful freeze frames in this show, in these two final episodes in particular, but Ralph Macchio's face as Jacob Bertrand steps onto the mat is great. Yeah, as you mentioned, Hawk's theme roars into the soundtrack. Kyler does not know what's coming. Yeah, Hawk alights on the mat with his core engaged, never breaking eye contact with his opponent, and we get a return of the Hawk cry. And a knowing smile dawns on Dimitri's face. Here comes some of the show's best fight choreography, and, and buckle up because it goes for a while. Jacob really makes all of this look effortless. Yeah, and Josio's not bad either. Hawk gets a hit in early, they reset, and he drives Kyler to the sidelines, and then he kicks Kyler in the chest and gets declared winner. <laughs> Meanwhile in the stands, Carmen and Yaya are snacking. For the second year in a row, Yaya decided to wake and bake before the tournament. Well, she's hogging the nachos because in Espanol she's got the munchies. ¿Qué puedo decir? Tengo los munchies. And cheers to Vanessa Rubio and Rose Bianco for not breaking either. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the blue mats... It's Sam V. Piper. Yeah, Sam's taking the mat, and Daniel calls, You've got this, Sam, a phrase that I previously thought was cursed, but maybe we're here to buck the trend. Yeah, Daniel's like, Ready? just like we practiced. Yeah. And if Hawk hadn't already used the designated F-bomb, Sam would have been like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, so they start fighting, right? Yeah, Piper gets the first hit in and then rubs salt in it by throwing shade at Miyagi-Do. You know, Robbie said Miyagi-Do is for defense only. And adding, without your defense, you have nothing. Yeah, Piper comes on strong and Sam's ready with a block, but Piper knew that block was coming, so she blends a blow to Sam's head. How dare she? Sam looks to Daniel, then to Johnny, and decides that Piper needs to somersault the hell off her mat. As we get this reprise of Sam's flying motif from Then Learn Fly, she looks over at Daniel, Daniel's smiling at her too confidently, maybe too confidently, and then when she looks at Johnny, right, he gives her that intent little look, and then it's really on. And the music here is so epic, I just can't believe it. She flies at Piper, she uses Eagle Fang moves as an incredible guitar theme swells, and Piper steps back up only to get another kick in the face. And then Sam sweeps Piper from below and knocks her out once more. And she's declared the winner as Daniel looks on appalled. And Johnny exclaims yes and beams like the proud karate dad that he is. Karate dad part two. No one was expecting Eagle Sam. Sam and Johnny are thrilled. As Sam steps off the mat, Daniel asks her what she did out there. And she admits it's Eagle Fang. He wants to know how she picked up so much. She has a surprisingly similar argument to Robbie's. Well, she says that she won, and Daniel says, not in the right way. And then she says the kicker, right? Maybe my right way is different than yours. Don't I get a choice? As the Dowager Countess would say, So put that in your pipe and smoke it. And Daniel is shook. Now, here's an interesting scene coming up. Cut to Kenny and Robbie by the ringside. Kenny says to Robbie he doesn't know why the tournament's having them fight each other. And Robbie really projects magnanimity here, right? He says it's just luck of the draw. But no matter what happens, the fact that you made it this far at your age, it's a huge deal. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. It also works out well for the plot that Kenny is here. 
Kenny says he owes it all to Robbie. He says Robbie changed his life and they banter affectionately. And Derek, um, politifact equals true, I guess, technically. Yeah, we'll find out exactly how in a minute. Daniel introduces their match as a real snake fight, and they step up to the mat and move in. Robbie is hesitant at first. Kenny is aggro and gets the first hit in on Robbie. Kreese is there to reinforce the whole no mercy thing. Yeah, when they go to the sidelines, Kreese asks Robbie, Are you fighting your friend or your opponent? And as Robbie turns back to the mat, we see Johnny watching from the other side. So he spent so much time fighting his own friends on Kreese's watch, he knows exactly what's happening. As Robbie turns away and then back onto the reverse shot, we see he has big T-1000 Terminator energy. Honey, are you okay? I'm fine. What's the dog's name? Max. Hey, Janelle, what's wrong with Wolfie? Wolfie's just fine. Your foster parents are dead intense music plays here and that's according to the subtitles but also according to me what did you say they were calling big john carpenter synth vibes big john carpenter synth vibes here anyway it's like sinister versus sinister and once they're going again robbie kicks kenny in the chin rolls his neck and then catches him in the chest after kenny puts up a valiant defense and the final point is the most brutal kenny charges hard against robbie and he forces him out of bounds so kenny returns Robbie's moving against Kenny to psych him out, and Kenny ramps up the aggression. That's when Kenny makes a hard run at Robbie, and Robbie uses it to kick him square in the face. Yeah, Robbie toys with Kenny like a cat toying with a mouse, but then he wrecks Kenny with a brutal flying kick to the face. Winner! Should have stuck to Dungeon Lord, kid. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny's hurt, so he gathers himself and runs off. And Daniel looks on in horror while Johnny shakes his head. For two guys who claim to have nothing in common, they sure seem to be thinking the same things. To be honest, Robbie might be cottoning on as well. He wants to go after Kenny, but Tori stops him. It's obvious that Kenny needs to cool off. Yeah, Tori wants to know if Robbie is good. Robbie, you good? Robbie's answer is wrong in many important respects. Yeah. It's interesting that Robbie gives his head a little shake once he mm -hmm. finishes that match as if he's been possessed by something. Meanwhile, over by the trophy table, Miguel and Daniel take a moment to catch up. It's good vibes all around as it's Eli versus Miguel in the semifinals. And Daniel knows Miyagi moves when he sees them. Yeah, Daniel says that in a previous match, Couldn't help but notice you circled your opponent. And as Miguel notes, Yeah, well, you didn't have us catching fish for nothing, right? And Daniel looks at him really fondly, and this is such a lovely scene. Like, look how far these guys have come. Absolutely. But then Johnny arrives to throw a Samantha LaRusso-sized bucket of water on the proceedings. Yeah, it's a real who's who of all Valley champions here. But Johnny tells Miguel it's time to go get ready. And as Miguel leaves, he asks Daniel if... Did you gain LaRusso soften up Diaz before a match? As if you haven't gotten into Sam's head with all your ego crap. Johnny says Daniel should be thanking him because she used what she learned and advanced in the tournament. Hmm, sounds similar to someone else's argument from earlier. Daniel blames Johnny for Sam's anger issues, and Johnny blames Daniel for Miguel's lack of them. Well, Daniel says that turned her into someone who can't control her anger, but Johnny says... Better than turning my champion into a pussy who starts a fight and then runs away from it. He's still mad about Miguel and the sprinklers. Oh yeah, Johnny is still big mad about the sprinkler incident. This man cannot abide a soaking. Man, just, I mean, thinking that, he's, thinking that he's talking about his own student that way, that sucks. They tell each other to stay away from each other's karate kids. Why can't they just admit that they're scared and that they need a hug? They tell each other to stay away from their kids 
and their Karate Kids Part 2. Wow. What about Part 3? Next season. Next season. Cut this Hawk v. Miguel. Hawk is not happy to be fighting his friend. Dimitri points out, It doesn't help that nobody's ever beaten Miguel either. Oh, I say a lot of things, which tends to be a polarizing attribute of mine. Sam's there to throw shade on Daniel. Sam points up, At least you know how to fight, because Johnny taught you too. Meanwhile, across the ring, Johnny wants Miguel to kick Hawk so hard Daniel will feel it. Fist bumps before flip kicks. Johnny channels Crease while telling Miguel to unleash his killer instinct to take Eli's ass out. This makes no sense given that Johnny's the one who told Miguel that the tactics he used to win the tournament in season one were out of line. And unsurprisingly, Miguel has a problem with this. What? Take his ass out. Johnny says he's fighting for LaRusso. He picked his side. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And of course, Miguel says to Johnny, yours. Like, what a bizarre question to be asked by a grown adult. And he belatedly says, I'm on your side, Diaz, always. But if he's calling Miguel Diaz, he's not being the sensei or the father figure that Miguel needs in this moment. And Eli steps up to a very serious looking Miguel on the mat. And they do this like brotherly fist bump handshake. And I love them so much. They've come such a long way since the last time we saw them fight, right? And they bow and take positions and the fight is on. Well, the fight certainly is on as the dramatic music kicks up. It seems to be even money as Hawk and Miguel match punch for punch, kick for kick. Yeah, Miguel takes a kinetic swing that Hawk stops with an epic block, and Eli synthesizes old Cobra Kai with the Miyagi-Do defense, and Miguel gets a very graceful kick in but can't make contact. Miguel kicks again and sends Eli flying backwards onto the mat, but Eli had blocked it with his arm, giving him no point. So Miguel's tried kicking twice and it hasn't worked out. He's going to have to do something bigger to make an impact. So this time he decides to gain some altitude, right? Altitude indeed. At Johnny's cajoling, Miguel goes for the spinning flying tornado kick. But then we suddenly get a suspiciously timed montage reminding us of, of all Miguel's whole journey coming back from his broken back in season three. Let's go, Diaz! You're not a kid anymore. Once over here, you have to crawl across the floor. Use your damn teeth if you have to. Flashbacks to Miguel's recovery with Johnny, the Dream Warrior sequences, and Johnny telling Miguel that he's always going to be right there next to him. Strange that they should remind us of this just as Miguel starts turning in the air. Well, we see Miguel spinning up for the flying tornado, and we hear Johnny's pep talk from when he was in the hospital in season three. But Miguel's vulnerability gives the lie to Johnny. Sometimes you can't crawl to get a thing. Sometimes wanting a thing to be real isn't enough to make it so. As Miguel spins that up and then nearly kicks Hawk in the face, his back snaps no. and he falls to the mat with cries of pain. We get the faint yet familiar sound of celery stalks crunching to invoke the idea that perhaps Miguel has re-injured himself. Yeah, and Hawk kneels over Miguel, helpless, and Johnny runs onto the mat. The referee calls for a medic. And Carmen cries Miguel's name as Miguel lies on the ground calling out for Johnny. And this shot is really evocative because it mirrors, to some extent, the shot of Miguel unconscious and injured on the stairs at the end of Cobra Kai Season 2 when he broke his back. So it's very triggering. And with that, we get an end snake to, as Netflix says, somber music. Somber music indeed. 
originally wrote in snack in my notes there, so I guess that means it's time for me to eat. Indeed. In snake, in snack. In snack. We'll take a break and be right back. Because season four, episode 10, The Rise. The Rise. Starts now. A hospital room with beeps and brain scans. Now, the last thing we saw in the fall, appropriately, was Miguel having fallen to the mat when his flying tornado kick ended in tragedy. Yeah, so it only stands to reason that in the opening scene of the first of this ultimate episode that it would be Miguel in the hospital, you would think, right? Indeed, and we have somber music playing again. Yeah, just like in the end. And so as we pan over... Do you know where you are? Very slowly we see, wait, no. No, they faked us out. It is an unconscious Stingray. Yeah, see, remember Stingray also suffered a brutal beating not too long ago. So we pan over this hospital bed where we find we have a fake out. It's a sleepy Stingray. He doesn't know where he is. In fact, he's a John Doe, according to these nurses, or I guess a John Ray in this case. He wakes up and smushes this pulse oximeter on his hand in his face. Of course, a nurse runs in and asks him if he knows his name and tells the orderly to call the detective. They check his underwear and his name is Calvin Klein. 1955. You're my mom. You're my mom. My name is Lorraine. Um, That never ends well. I thought it was Clint Eastwood. Yes, well, cut back over to the tournament. Remember, we were also in the middle of a tournament gang. In the physical therapy room, we find Miguel is in recovery after what turned out to be just a pulled muscle. may ache for a bit, but you'll be fine. Ooh, boy, I've been there. But hey, at least it's not a broken back. Our actual medic says that it's okay to listen to his pain and to sit it out if he must. That is quite different from the advice that Johnny used to give Miguel in his quasi-rehab. At any rate, Miguel asks if he can fight, and she tells him that he should let the injury guide him. So he has 30 minutes to recover, and he can continue. Otherwise, he forfeits the match. And Johnny asks Miguel how it feels now, and Miguel says it's a little sore. Carmen is concerned as always. Remember, no pressure. Take your time, but you have 30 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Or your or your honor is lost forever. <laughs> Just feel it out. Yes, but Car- you have you are on a timer. Very. Let's be very clear about that. Make no mistake. Ticking clock. Indeed. Carmen asks Johnny to take care of Miguel. But Yaya pushes through and tells Miguel he was so good when he kicked that kid in the face. It might have been more useful if she handed over some of those edibles for pain management. I love that shit. We're so high right now. Oh, dude, I don't know about you, but I'm fucking hungry as balls. Yeah, no shit, dude. Let's eat. I want something we haven't had in a while. I want the perfect food. As as the women head out, Johnny tells Miguel that he has a half hour to show his back who's boss. Remember, ticking clock, people. But, you know, take your time. But, yeah, seriously, feel it out. But also, decide. Miguel looks very concerned. Meanwhile, on the sidelines, the quarterfinals continue as Dimitri and Robbie fight. Robbie's ahead 1-0. Robbie hits Dimitri in the chest, scoring another point when the ref... Sends them back to their senseis. And Daniel is ready to give Dimitri a pep talk, but not before Dimitri lets us all know that he's seen the Star Wars prequel trilogy. I feel like a helpless Jedi youngling about to get slaughtered. Okay, well, you're taller. 
You have the high ground. Dimitri doesn't stand much of a chance against Sith Robbie. He's saved us the trouble of doing our own Star Wars analogies this episode. Thanks, Dimitri. You know, Eli reminds us how Obi-Wan beat Anakin. Which time, though? Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must. Hawk's also no slouch when it comes to the history of the Republic. That's one way to tell Dimitri to use his height to his advantage. And Daniel tells Dimitri to remember his fundamentals and to breathe. This is some great sensei from Daniel here. And it's worth noting that with Dimitri and also with Hawk, you know, students with whom he has no baggage, he does a really good job. Anyway, they go back up to the mat. Dimitri winds up. Robbie's got an almost playful expression, like he expects Dimitri to go down easy. But Dimitri's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve. He blocks Robbie and pushes him to the ground, then beckons for Robbie to come and get him in a way that only Gianni DiCenzo could do. Dimitri bobs and weaves, but that's no good against the patented Cobra Kai leg sweep. Yeah, Robbie eventually drops him and gets that third winning point. But Dimitri's put on a good show, and he knows it, right? Like when he comes off that mat... He looks so much lighter, even though the first thing he says to Daniel is that Robbie's very good. From the expression on Daniel's face, you can tell that Daniel knows, that Dimitri knows, that he did well out there. And rather than rebuff the compliment, Dimitri thanks Daniel and moves off to the side. That's a big step for Dimitri. Like, he's done his part. Even if he didn't win, he's done himself proud. But as Dimitri steps aside, Daniel sees Terry, Kreese, and Robbie looming ominously on the other side of the mat. Cut to yet another locker room. Kenny's dabbing his bloody nose with the tissue and examining his injury in a mirror. Remember the previous episode when Robbie knocked the crap out of him? So, Kenny looks pretty sullen, and it would be a terrible time for someone who threatens him to show up. Which is when Anthony walks in. Although, to be fair, Anthony's trying to do the right thing at the wrong moment. He's trying to apologize, but he's pretty awkward about it. Yeah, Kenny looks almost dangerous as Anthony speaks. Like, he's just looking at Anthony's reflection behind him, technically. I'm sorry, okay, for all the, for all the shit I did. Yeah, you know, it wasn't cool. Anthony says he's sorry. He tries to explain himself, but Kenny fills in the blanks. I was just trying to impress your friends by picking on the new kid who didn't have any. Anthony is grasping for a foothold here as he tries to make it right. He tells Kenny he can imagine what it must have felt like to be bullied, and he might as well have walked right into one of John Kreese's minefields. Yeah, Kenny wants Anthony to tell him how it felt. Go ahead. Uh... Go ahead and tell me how it felt. Since he says he can imagine. Kenny's going to give Anthony a piece of his mind. He tells Anthony he can't imagine because no one's ever been such a piece of shit to him. So it's time, he says, for Anthony to find out what it's like. And that's when he kicks Anthony, sending him sprawling into the lockers and taunts him, telling him to get up. He then pins Anthony up against the lockers, punching him like he punched the dummy a couple of episodes ago. And a handy flashback reminds us Anthony can only hunch over and cover his head as Kenny pummels him. And it's at that moment that Robbie runs in and pulls Kenny off Anthony. And Kenny explains that he's just getting some payback. And Robbie is flummoxed to hear that Anthony LaRusso is Kenny's bully. And as Anthony struggles on the floor, Kenny reaches down and grips his chin. Get ready for high school next year, because you're going to be in a world of pain. Kenny Payne. Then smiling, maybe the most terrifying smile I've seen since the mouth of Sauron. Right? He heads out. The way, the way, like, they light his eyes here is terrifying. Robbie is flummoxed to hear that Anthony LaRusso is Kenny's bully. He looks over at Anthony. He's like, really? That guy? That guy? 
Kenny's bringing some real simmering intensity here. It's some real Goodfellas level carnage. Tommy, you no, know, you got it all wrong. He's... Oh, oh, Anton, he's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. Robbie is shook as he has watched sweet, innocent Kenny go from complete ingenue to Joe Pesci in the course of a season. So Robbie intercepts Kenny before he can leave and tells him this is not the way that he, Robbie, trained him. But Kenny doesn't care. Matter-of-factly, he says back to Robbie, it's Cobra Kai, no mercy. This is Cobra Kai. This is Sparta! Yikes! Horror film music plays as Robbie watches Kenny march off, and Robbie leans down to help Anthony up. Anthony resists his attempts to help. Robbie looks really freaked out, and I guess now is a good time for me to shout out this show for finding unlimited number of ways to make locker rooms scary. Cut to the center map, where we get a montage of Tori and Sam advancing from the quarterfinals to the semifinals, each with their own match. Yeah, Tori dispatches Ms. Powers from Locust Valley Karate and pour one out for Ms. Krupa of Topanga Karate as she is soundly defeated by Sam. Yes, each one wins their respective match. The other looks over with foreboding. Meanwhile, in the hallway, where in the first of many hallway exchanges, <laughs> Kreese catches Johnny backstage and wants to know how the boy is. Yeah, Johnny's the boy. Wa- the boy. The boy. Johnny's walking the halls waiting for Miguel to get better, and that's when he runs into Kreese. Kreese apologizes for Terry for what that's worth. It's a real return to form for Kreese, who is known to call upon Terry to do his dirty work lie low for a while, and then pick up the pieces when he returns. Yeah, Johnny moves past Kreese to leave. So Kreese heightens, telling him it didn't have to be this way, Johnny. It could have been with me. As well as with his real son, quote-unquote, so great. And you have to wonder, like, why does Kreese care so much about having Johnny on his side? I care more about you than anyone. You got a funny way of showing it. Johnny retorts that Kreese doesn't care any more about Robbie than he does about Johnny. And Kreese calls bullshit, saying he cared more about Johnny than anyone. But Johnny has receipts in flashback form. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No sensei. No mercy. Yeah, Johnny is real sour about Cobra Kai in general and the tragic end to his finals with Daniel in specific. He insists. Kreese forced him to fight. Kreese insists. Johnny needed it to keep him from spiraling into dismay. Well, PolitiFact equals half true on that one. Chris says no matter what people say, it does matter if you win or lose. And he says that if Robbie wins, he'll remember that for the rest of his life. And maybe someday, Robbie can be the one to keep Cobra Kai going. And now I know that Dimitri already gave us our Star Wars moment, but I should add, this is a real Darth Vader moment from Chris specifically. And maybe someday, he can be the one to keep Cobra Kai going. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps he will. For sure. You know, it's very important that Cobra Kai have a scion, as both (laughs) he and Terry are very, very old. Neither of them has any kids. Well, that we know of. Hey! Hey! But Johnny's not having it. Yeah, as the ominous orchestral score rises in this marching beat, Johnny tells Chris, Oh, that's never gonna happen. Because tonight, Cobra Kai's gonna die. Hey, that rhymes. It's incredible how Johnny's just so assured given all the things that are currently up in the air. But okay, 
Cut to the PT room where a beleaguered Miguel is doing roundhouse and high kicks when Johnny walks in. Johnny tosses him some kind of pain-relieving treatment, telling him to rub it on. So this is not Mr. Miyagi's mysterious green substance. The PA system informs us that the match will resume in five minutes, and we're really getting down to the wire. But no pressure. No pressure. But you have five minutes. You have five minutes. Where did those other 25 minutes go? I don't know. I don't know, but you have five minutes five, to decide. Yeah, so just let but the injury take it guide easy. you. Yeah, take just take time. it easy, but, but also... TikTok. That's right. Miguel tells Johnny he doesn't know if he can do this, and Johnny says, yes, you can. You can do anything if you want it bad enough. Well, politifact equals pants on fire for that one. Yeah, that is hogwash. As we know from Johnny's own story, wanting something badly isn't all it takes to make it so. There's a really sweet moment here, though, as Johnny tells Miguel, insert, I know you're not 100%, but you've got the heart of a champion. But then Johnny continues telling Miguel that everything he's been through is just a warm-up for this moment. He's been waiting for this moment for all his life. Hold on. And Johnny completely fails to see that Miguel might have other areas of his life that these things are preparing him for. Once again, he sees his own story as Miguel's story and vice versa. Do what I tell you, we'll not only take down Cobra Kai, we'll show LaRusso and everybody else who's really the best. That's what this is about. Johnny tells Miguel that he knows what's at stake, that if they lose... If we lose, I'm not your sensei anymore. He asks Miguel... You want that? And a crestfallen Miguel says that he does not. Of course, this is all according to the rules that Johnny made up, along with LaRusso and Kreese, but they all went along with it. None of that means Johnny would have to give up being Miguel's sensei, right? Well, Johnny says, prove it. Fight for it and show Johnny that Miguel's ready to be a man. There's a deep cruelty in this change that's partly circumstantial because of the way that they've both come to the situation. But ultimately, it's Johnny's fault. And we'll say more about this in the analysis. But man, what a colossally bad move by Johnny here. Johnny leaves Miguel holding the ointment. Is that also a metaphor? Not sure. Miguel looks sick. And I can't believe Johnny just left him there like, Mr. Miyagi always stayed when Daniel was hurt, right? And now you have less than five minutes, Miguel. But take your time. But no pressure. Yeah. Just show us what you're made of. Cut to center Matt. Daryl, of course, still amped, explaining that Eagle Fang has a chance, but only if Miguel emerges and everyone is tense. Amanda and Carmen in the stands, the other Eagle Fangs on the mat. Yeah, it's big reality show energy as Daryl lays out the stakes here. Miguel Diaz has one minute to return to the mat. It's a redo of the Karate Kid in the tournament in season one of Cobra Kai. We've got yet another countdown to see if a fighter will return to this match. Only this year, there's literally a big countdown clock on the screen. 48 seconds left, but hey, no pressure. No pressure. Just just decide on your own time, but also you have 30 seconds. As the clock runs down, Hawk is hopping lightly on his feet to stay warm, and it looks like Johnny begins to realize he made a mistake. I've made a huge 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 mistake. I've never admitted to a mistake. (laughs) And Daniel looks as surprised as everyone else that Miguel's not coming out. So the crowd counts down the last of the clock, and as it buzzes, Johnny is dis... Because of course Miguel doesn't come out. Come on. Of course. Of course not. It was obvious. He told him no pressure. No, but there was so much pressure. Exactly. He was under pressure. Pressure! Daryl says... It looks like Miguel Diaz is not going to fight. Which means... Which means he's the ultimate Miyagi-Do in my book. Well, that too. Sorry, Johnny. But Eli will advance to the final, and Eli and Daniel exchange glances, 
And Daryl adds that Eli's going to face Robbie, of course. Robbie takes it all in. Yeah, looks like Eli wins by default. Woohoo! The two sweetest words in the English language. Default! Default! Now we cut to the hallway. We're standing outside of room 129 Mark Data, where I can only assume Brent Spiner is petting his cat. Tell him he's a pretty cat. And a good cat. Well, Johnny is pacing and Carmen runs up to ask, what the heck happened? Miguel has vanished into sweaty, kind of rubbery smelling air. I mean, it is a gymnasium after all. Carmen says that Miguel probably feels like he let Johnny down. And that's why he left. And Johnny replies that he's the one who let Miguel down. Carmen hugs Johnny and we all feel bad. Now cut to another hallway. I can only imagine that there's like a labyrinth underneath the All Valley Arena. Yeah, they're doing squid game like in the other gymnasium right now, I'm sure. Wow. Sam's filling her water bottle when Miguel appears in the hallway. He congratulates her on advancing to the finals. This is a neat moment because he reminds me a lot of like earnest, hesitant Miguel from season one, right? He feels kind of knocked off his feet and back at the beginning of his journey all over again. She asks him if he's okay and he says he is. I wasn't fighting for me anymore. I get that. I feel pressure from my dad all the time. Miguel can relate except for the fact, as he says, that Johnny is not his dad. Sam doesn't know what to say. Miguel says he just wanted to wish her good luck. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. And then, of course, Daryl's voice cuts in that Sam has to report to the mat. So Sam says she's got to go, asks if Miguel will be out there rooting for her. And that's where he has this sweet expression on his face and says, I'm always rooting for you, Sam. So they give each other the sweet kiss as an almost like Hunger Gamesy strings arrangement plays. And he walks her walk out with a kind of a shaken or yearning expression. Cut to out in center ring. It's finals time. Daryl is here to get the crowd amped once again. So Cobra Kai only needs to win one match to be crowned grand champion. But if Miyagi-Do wins both matches, the title is theirs. Ooh, high drama. Yeah, Terry tells Robbie it's time to show Daniel and Johnny that you don't need them. That you're strong enough on your own. Well... As long as he sticks with Cobra Kyle. Let's not get nuts. On the other side of the map, Eli says this is his chance to get back at Robbie for attacking him in the tattoo parlor. But Daniel shuts it down. Daniel's gone full white wizard as he tells Eli, The biggest battle is always the one within. Where has this Daniel been for most of season four? Anyway, Daniel tells Eli, Concentrate, defense, focus, power. Find your balance and those points will come. And I keep thinking, if Daniel had trained Sam in this way, she'd be less frustrated with him. You think? Yeah. Daniel sends Eli onto the mat with a hopeful expression, and he and Robbie lock eyes as they move in slow motion. You just have to think a minute about the history between these two guys, right? They first really fight each other at the end of season one in the in the last All-Valley tournament we watched, and Eli gets himself disqualified, fi- physically injuring Robbie so that Cobra Kai's can advance. And then they had the mall fight in season two. Robbie had so much that he could get Hawk back for. And he did humiliate Hawk and cut his hair and thus assault him in the tattoo parlor. So now, you know, I understand why Hawk would want payback. But of course, Daniel's right. Like, we could go around and around and around forever. Now is the time to resolve it by taking ownership of yourself. They bow and the fight is instantly on. Robbie kicks towards Hawk and Hawk returns it. But Robbie forces him backwards. Hawk uses the Miyagi-Do defense, but Robbie anticipates it and hits him in the chest. Robbie's got a point, and Hawk signals for a timeout. Back on the sidelines, Hawk tells Daniel that Robbie knows all his moves because Robbie was in Miyagi-Do longer than he was. Also true. 
we get a glimpse at Johnny from Daniel's POV, and Sam looks at Daniel with an expression that says, you know what you have to do. And Daniel, for his part, does not hesitate. When the moment came, I didn't hesitate. Daniel says to Eli, you know each other's karate, put him on the defensive. And Eli nods and bows and then turns back to the mat and Daniel looks satisfied. We build in intensity throughout this fight. Now, they really take full advantage of the variable frame rate cameras throughout these two episodes at the tournament. It really lets them kind of speed up and slow down the fight to highlight specific movements. You know, I think that and the editing here really lets them punch in on the actual performers doing some of the actual fight choreography. I think it makes the fight look really cool, dynamic, and visually appealing while still being legible, and it's not difficult to follow the action. Yeah, of all the fights that we've watched, this is probably the one, well, it's, it's one of the longest ones between two people, at least it feels that way, but it's one of the easiest to parse. Other action shows take note. This is how you do it. This is really how you do it. So when they start fighting again after the timeout, Eli kicks and puts Robbie on the defensive, synthesizing both styles, and they leap in the air, which I've seen a lot of cool behind-the-scenes pictures of this. It's really neat. And then Eli gets a kick in as they come down with Robbie unguarded. In the stands, of course, Luna's like cheering for Eli, and the ref calls the point for Eli, which leads an emboldened hawk to launch into a spin kick, only to be intercepted by Robbie. And Robbie throws him down and winds up a punch only for Hawk to roll out of his way. Yeah, and then Robbie tries a kick, but Eli blocks and kicks back and then uses his elbows to keep Robbie at bay. Epic music like a 90s thriller. Eli comes in and punches. Robbie blocks, then flies a kick towards Robbie's head that sends Robbie down onto the mat. Then he has to flip himself back up to keep from wiping out. Now, we get a reaction shot from Johnny, who is spellbound, and also a little scared for Robbie. The ref tells us that Eli doesn't get the point because Robbie successfully blocked him. Yeah, then they score off again, and Robbie throws a punch. Hawk ducks it. Hawk blocks Robbie's kicks. Robbie drives Hawk toward the Miyagi-Do side of the mat and then throws a punch that Hawk blocks as Robbie blocks him from the other side, swatting Hawk's hand back over his head. And then we get a brief blast of pipe music to indicate they're flipping the script. Things are heightening. Robbie attempts to get a hold on Eli from behind to throw him down, but Eli blocks, and then they force each other away before either can land a point. Now, how did they not get any Emmys for this? This is amazing stuff here. Daniel watches as Robbie swings toward Hawk and then tries to throw a kick, and Hawk blocks Robbie. Then Robbie attempts another kick and swipes at Hawk. There's just so much going on. Hawk moves forward, punching and kicking, and Robbie blocks. Hawk jump kicks toward Robbie. Robbie blocks. Got some Miyagi-Do moves there, then forces Hawk back. Hawk feints a kick and Robbie darts back. The bodice of Robbie's gi is loosening as he charges towards Hawk, ultimately kicking without gaining a point. The ref tells him to continue. Yeah, Hawk kicks toward Robbie. Robbie ducks back. Hawk grips Robbie's loose lapels and then pulls him down to the mat, and they're both swinging their arms back to punch or block when a buzzer sounds. And the ref tells them to go back to their sides. And of course, Daryl swoops in like he's been waiting for this moment all his life. Hold on. They hit the three-minute time limit with a tie. Which means their championship match will be decided by sudden death overtime! Now, all the senseis exchange glances with one another, a reminder that this is what happened when Daniel fought Cobra Kai's ringer, Mike Barnes, in the Karate Kid Part 3. Wait a minute, Mike Barnes, the bad boy of karate? Representing the Cobra Kai, the challenger, Mike Barnes! And you, you can dream about me. 
<laughs> is it possible that a match really hasn't made it to this time limit with a tie in 37 years? Yeah. Well, or they... I guess in the universe, it's more like, you know, 33 years, but... Yeah, I mean, if it's just those nerds at Topanga and All-Star Karate and I guess, you know, Locust Valley, I guess that makes sense. At any rate, the crowd goes wild with news of sudden death over time, and so does the soundtrack. Robbie and Miguel bow to each other, and then the ref sends them back to their senseis to prepare. Over on the Cobra Kai side, Terry is incensed at Robbie for showing Hawk respect. This fight should be over by now. According to Terry. Yeah, Robbie, with some trademark realness of his own, asks Terry if... Do you want to fight him? You know, he's Johnny's kid, man. Terry's getting even more pissed off and Kree steps in, and in a line worthy of Emperor Palpatine, Kree says, You're angry. Good. Use it. So meanwhile, on the Miyagi-Do side, Daniel tells Hawk that the match he just watched was incredible, and Hawk asks Daniel if he has any advice for the last point. Daniel looks expectantly to Sam, who nods, and then crucially, Daniel also looks to Johnny, who locks eyes with him. And Daniel's response is, Give him all you got. And by all you got, we mean kick his face off. Huck smiles, and he and Daniel bow to each other. Now, back on the mat, Robbie retakes the mat, and frustrated with his loose lapels, just throws his top to Tori. Cue the screaming Beatles groupies. Hawk observes this and looks at the ref who shrugs, so Eli loosens the belt of his Iwagi and throws it to Dimitri, who looks perplexed. As a side note, I love that it's his binary brother and not Moon who hangs onto Eli's uniform for him. At that moment, he has his back to the camera, and as a percussive series of guitar riffs sound, he rolls his shoulders, making the Hawk tattoo wave, and we hear the cry of the Hawk reborn. I guess if Hawk's parents didn't know about that eagle tattoo before, they sure do now. Again, if you're freezing frames here, the look on Ralph Macchio's face is pretty great during this. Wow, what a neat moment. I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. Hold on. Robbie gets in a kick, but Eli backs away, and then Robbie advances with a flying kick that misses Eli. Then Robbie lands, bracing a leg on Eli's knee, flips up and back as Eli flips back and then forward running at Robbie and locking his legs around his torso and shoulders like a wild animal, basically, like like the hawk. Robbie turns to flip Hawk onto the ground and winds up to punch, but then he sees Kenny directly behind Hawk, yelling for Robbie to beat Hawk up. Now, I didn't actually know what Kenny was saying at first, and the subtitles just say distorted shouting, so I'm pretty sure he's saying beat him up and then let's go. But the expression on his face, combined with the guitar riffs and the way they slow down and deepen his voice, makes him sound like he's possessed. Robbie's transfixed by this scene of Kenny, right? This view of Kenny. And then Eli's foot comes up to connect with Robbie's face. Eli uses that moment to roll out from under Robbie and then back to a standing position. And they circle each other on the mat. Eli makes an attempt at a kick, but the ref yells no point. Eli kicks again, and Robbie grabs onto his leg, blocking over and over as choral music rises. They dance a bit on the mat, and then go back to throwing punches. Then Robbie kicks, and Eli blocks. Robbie gets in a hit to Hawk's hip, and on the sideline, Daniel comforts Sam when she winces. Then Robbie stalks towards a limping Hawk as the predator becomes the prey. But Hawk is wily. Robbie yells for Hawk to come on. And Hawk throws a forward kick, then winds up a spinning kick that Robbie intercepts, pulling Hawk down to the ground along with himself. And Hawk slides out from under Robbie, and in that moment, Robbie's unguarded. And Hawk tags him in the chest with his foot. So, the referee calls the point for Hawk, the music swells, the match is over. 
Still on the mat. Robbie slams the ground in frustration. The Miyagi-Dos run out, hoisting Hawk high above their heads. Daniel looks thrilled. Terry Silver looks incensed, and Kreese looks pensive. And Johnny just stands with his arms folded, taking it all in, right? And they pass the trophy to Hawk, which he holds up in the air while giving a victory cry. Daryl tells the audience that the grand championship is now up in the air. It all comes down to the girls' tournament because, remember, Cobra Kai only needs one more victory to take the whole thing. Of course it does. That's right. We're preserving that tension here. As he says this, we pan in on Terry, who shakes his head and stares off into the middle distance. Cut to the back hallways once again where Robbie, his loose top pack on, pushes through a door into the hallway. Probably headed for the locker room, right? Yeah, Tori's following him. Once again, Tori asks a very important question. You all right? And Robbie's answer is fundamentally incorrect. Yeah. And he does look okay, like less upset about losing and more concerned about something else. And although what he's concerned about isn't clear to Tori, Robbie tells her to focus on her fight. He just needs to clear his head. But this isn't Robbie's scene. It's actually Tori's scene. So as Robbie walks off, Tori turns back to the hallway to see Amanda coming in. She's there for Tori and observes that it all comes down to this final match. Yeah, Tori doesn't want to deal with this right now, and she says she has to get back in there, but Amanda presses on saying, Spoke to Dr. Hillier. She says you've been keeping up with your appointments. So on a side note, are the LaRussos also paying for that? Probably. Like, how many of their potential enemies' families' medical bills are they covering? There's Tori. There's probably Shannon's rehab. Are they fronting Tom Cole's medical bills, too? Not to mention Stingray. He's still back there in the hospital. <laughs> Tori says that the doctor found volunteer help to help with her mom. And she says she has Amanda to thank for that. And Amanda says maybe Tori can do one thing for her. By making sure Sam doesn't get hurt. It's karate. How can I promise? I'm not asking you to back down. I just want you to play by the rules. Yeah, Tori's like, I'm going to start throwing punches. If you get hit, it's your own fault. Then I'm going to start kicking air. And if any part of you should fill that air, it's your own fault. But Amanda presses that she just wants Tori to play by the rules. Not really Cobra Kai's thing, but we'll see how it goes, I guess. And she says she's going to go root for her daughter, but what she's really rooting for is that this puts an end to all this bullshit between them. You know, she might be also rooting for the La Brea Tar Pits to spread all the way up through Laurel Canyon to Valley Glen just to swallow up every last Cobra Kai dojo in the valley as well. That's true. Meanwhile, on the sidelines, the Eagle Fangs are speculating as to who's going to win when Daniel pulls Johnny aside. The chemistry between these guys! Even Johnny asking Daniel what he wants is fraught with tension. Daniel tells Johnny that he wants his help. He says, You and I may be set in our ways, but these kids, they're still growing. They can learn from both of us. And they can use what they're teaching, like Fleetwood Mac. They can go their own way. Rumors? No, it's all true. Daniel says he cared so much about Mr. Miyagi's legacy that he forgot one of Mr. Miyagi's most important lessons. And that's about Daniel learning to do it his own way. Just like bonsai, choose own way grow because the root is strong. This is straight out of Karate Kid Part 3, right? Bonsai tree. Daniel says that he was afraid of Johnny's influence on Sam, and he knows that some of what Johnny teaches can be good sometimes. And I'm crying. I love you, Daniel. I love you, Ralph Macchio. The soundtrack transitions from the chord progressions of Mr. Miyagi's theme to Johnny's theme now in a major key, as Johnny tells Daniel that he's sorry too. Wow, so remember how they resisted saying they were sorry, thinking it showed weakness? Guess what, y'all? It shows strength. 
So Johnny says he saw Daniel and Miguel bonding and he freaked out. He was afraid of losing that connection and now he's paying for it. So Johnny said he should have just let Daniel train with Miguel because he would have been a stronger fighter. And Daniel asks, What do you say we team up again? You want me to help Miyagi do win? And Daniel asks Miyagi Fang. Just for today. Just for today. Wink, wink. Johnny looks to the side and he sees Cobra Kai's senseis looming behind them and tells Daniel, let's do this. Let's do this. Daryl's epic hype tour continues as he warms up the crowd for the final match of the night between who he calls the Queen Cobra herself, Tori Nicole, and Samantha LaRusso. The Bonds are badass. As he introduces each student, he mentions her senseis as well. And when he says that Sam is coached by Daniel and Johnny Lawrence, Daniel interrupts the proceedings to run out and whisper something in Daryl's ear. This is, once again, a beat from the Karate Kid that gets repeated in Cobra Kai tournaments that someone runs out with a piece of news that resets the table before a final match. Oh, I stand corrected. Fellow two-time All-Valley champion, Sensei Johnny Lawrence! What a cathartic moment. A triumphant moment in penetry, that is for sure. It's actually very sweet. But anyway. It can be both. Sam is surprised to hear that Daniel will be working with Johnny. Well, they'll be working overtime. But there's not much time to talk about it, aside from thinking about how wonderful it is to hear the heroic music swell as the crowd applauds and Johnny walks over to Daniel and Sam. And on the Cobra Kai side, Kreese tells Tori not to worry about them. You've been fighting all your life. Now it's time for all that struggle to pay off. Robbie tells Tori good luck, and Terry tells her to keep her head in the game. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. And speaking of big catharsis, on Sam's side of the mat, Johnny tells Sam to get out there and kick some ass, which she agrees to do, but then she gets flustered because she's not sure if that'll be okay with Daniel. In a huge moment for both Daniel and Sam, her dad tells her, I want you to win more than anyone. I want you be Make sure you keep your anger in check, up. But she might be a little bit too busy hugging to hear that last bit of advice, maybe. Yeah, I have the show frozen here on Ralph Macchio's face, like, writing these notes, and the glow in his eyes, it's so lovely, but as you hit play, you see that Sam doesn't even let him finish the sentence, because she leans in to give him a hug, like, finally, after four seasons, they're truly on the same page. And as he sends her onto the mat, he tells her to go kick some Cobra Kai ass. Cut to the final match. The referee tells the competitors to take their positions, and both Sam and Tori look pretty amped up for it. They bow to the ref and each other and gear up to fight. Yeah, Tori's bouncing and Sam's shuffling her feet, and they go in to kick each other, and Sam uses the flying tornado to get an early kick to Tori's face. Daniel cheers, Johnny claps, and Amanda looks shocked. I mean, I would feel weird too, given that I just asked Tori not to hurt the girl who kicked her in the face. Daniel asks Johnny what the hell that was, and what's that? Flying tornado kick. And then makes an impressed well face as Johnny explains. What I like about the way they relate here is that it's understated. And Tori runs over to Terry and Crease and says, "Sam's not using Miyagi though. She's fighting aggressively. Red alert." Red alert and evasive maneuvers. Terry's solution: double down on aggression. He's seen what's inside her. She's got to let it out. So they square up on the mat, and Tori kicks and swings. Sam kicks, and they block and kick using a mix of styles. And Tori gets in a point, and Terry claps, while Daniel and Johnny look on with trepidation. Here the music takes on some, like, John Barry Goldfinger vibes as Sam winds up, and she and Tori kick and kick and kick and kick each other until Tori connects with another kick to the chest, getting a second point. And then Sam runs to the sidelines and says she's attacking and it's not working. What style should she use? 
Well, Daniel and Johnny exchange glances and Daniel replies, Yours. Trust your instincts. Use everything you've learned from me and Sensei Lawrence. All of it. Just all of it. Just throw, throw everything at the wall. Just do it. And Johnny says your dad's right every now and then. It sucks to see Sam down in points when she and her senseis are in such a good place. She takes the mat opposite Tori and winds up her kata as we get some martial arts pipes. She performs a kata movement that raises her hand above her head like a claw. Now, this is a great move as it's a subtle visual way to show us that Sam has truly synthesized both styles. Both Miyagi-Do kata with the using her hands to make little eagle fang claws. And it gives us a nice look at that Manny too. I know I've seen martial artists do that before. It's not just a Sam thing, but it's cool to imagine that context of Miyagi-Do synthesized with eagle fang, right? Well, again, the idea that Sam went full manicure with what looks like some very detailed decoration to get her style just right before the tournament. Also knowing that she was practicing karate all afternoon of the prom, maybe this tourney is Sam's prom, at least in her mind. Well, Tori comes at Sam with kicks and Sam fights back, kicking herself and then raising her hands again. And Tori tries a spin kick and a side kick and Sam's defense brings her close in, almost like in Rocky and Creed when they go to the body. And they're throwing punches and dodging and Sam brings it in close. And as Tori flails approaching the edge of the mat, Sam gets in a punch to the chest and a point. Or not, the ref is signaling that the hit occurred out of bounds. Like Johnny, I wish we had more angles to confirm a replay, but I am 99.99999% positive that they were inbounds and that hit happened. Sam yells, what? And even Tori looks a little surprised. Across the mat, Daniel bellows, come on, ref. And Johnny yells, she went out after she got hit. It's really fun to hear them yelling like parents at a kid's sporting match, which let's not forget, that's what this actually is. That's right. But this is ominous. Yeah, and on the Cobra Kai side, Robbie and Kreese are intensely focused on the fight, but Terry's got a small smile on his face. And the audience boos as Sam winds up for one more bout. She raises her arms to prepare to kick, and then she and Tori faint and block, and then Tori uses a flying kick that Sam dodges, and then they punch and block in equal measure. Equal measure until Sam finds Tori wide open and connects with a big double-fisted punch, sending Tori backwards and netting her own point. So now the score is two to two and the next point wins, right? So the ref asks if they're ready. Sam repositions her hands and Tori comes in kicking. Sam blocks and kicks Tori back and it might have connected, but the ref says it's a block and no point. Tori presses on and they continue punching, kicking and blocking until Sam moves forward with a kick. Tori picks her up, drops her to the ground and they scramble to kick and roll over each other. Tori hits Sam in the face with an elbow. To the face. Go to your senses. Warning, that should be a point deduction. I didn't mean to. No, it was an accident. Go to your senses. Yeah, the ref sends him to their senses, and Johnny yells that that should have been a point deduction. Tori tells the ref she didn't mean to, and she sounds like she means it. The ref is impassive and does nothing. Hmm, suspicious. Meanwhile, on the sidelines, Amanda looks on with concern as Sam runs up to Daniel, who asks if she's okay. And Sam's eye is half open and she's got a black eye on the way, but she says, Yeah, she got me good, but I can still fight. Meanwhile, over on the other side, as ever with Terry, he drops some Quicksilver in her ear. He says, if a person can't see, they can't fight. Well, Tori's worried she's going to get disqualified, but Terry says it'll just be that she ran into your elbow. And as Terry says this, the camera cuts to Robbie, who averts his eyes from what Terry's saying. And worst she'll get is another warning. Trust me, this ref will never end the match on technicality. 
How does he know that? Tori insists that she doesn't have to cheat to win, and the camera cuts to Crease, who looks across the mat as we hear old dialogue between him and Johnny Lawrence pass through his reverie. While Crease is in his fugue state, across the mat, Johnny shakes his head. Crease looks taken aback. Next to him, Terry asks Tori, since when does she disobey an order? And this is where Crease has his hero moment, or the closest he'll come to a hero moment. You've come this far. This is your fight now. So whatever happens, it's up to you. Tori nods, bows to Crease, and retakes as Terry seethes. It looks like things are getting heated in the House of Cobras. Sam comes back out looking pained, and as they begin, Sam kicks and Tori blocks it. Tori circles Sam, and we get a flashback to the two of them circling each other in the school fight at the end of season two, then Tori running up on Sam in the two times they fought one-on-one. And it, it seems to me that maybe Sam has played these fights in her head, maybe quite a few times, and that is borne out in the editing as we see flashback fights cross-cut to the same punches and kicks that Tori throws in the past getting blocked by Sam in the present. Tori kicks at Sam, the same way she did in the home dojo fight at the end of season three, and then she and Sam fight hand-to-hand and leg-to-leg until Tori forces Sam back, then hunkers down to kick her squarely in the midsection. Point! Winner! Hey, you're right. The refs call a winning point for Tori, and Sam sprawls backward looking terrified. As a demonstration of her character development, we get a rare moment of empathy from Tori as she momentarily approaches Sam asking if she's okay. But no time for that, as suddenly she's swept up by all the Cobras who lift her up to celebrate her victory. Yeah, as glad as I am for Tori having this moment of victory because she was true to herself there at the end, right? It's no fun to see Kyler and some of his pilot fish celebrating here. And in the stands, Amanda looks pensive. And on the mat, Daniel and Johnny both walk Sam off the mat, and Johnny tells Sam it was a good effort. Yeah, Daryl gives Tori her trophy as the first female champion, and then presents the grand champion trophy to what he calls... And still the baddest dojo in the valley! Cobra Kai! He passes the cup to Crease, who smiles at it like it's his child or maybe his grandchild. Yeah, we have two back-to-back overall wins for Cobra Kai, it seems, despite a massive management change this year. Yeah, before Daryl can finish emceeing, Terry pushes Daryl aside and reprises the speech he began during the tournament in the Karate Kid Part 3. And we're just as proud to announce we'll soon be opening Cobra Kai franchises throughout the entire valley. And not bad for a dojo that was pretty much defunct in the valley for a little over a quarter of a century. Yeah, actually, it's like 1985 to 2019. That's a long time. That's right. Yeah, and then that's suddenly like Cobra Kai years. is back in business and big time. Yeah, it's like it's it's like Ghostbusters too. They go from zero back to business in no time. It's a real good look for them. Dare I say it? Terry's business plan maybe not as bananas as I first thought it was. As the Cobras chant, Robbie looks thoughtful, and we see the camera turning to follow his gaze to Johnny, who's standing beside Daniel as he comforts Sam. Robbie and Johnny lock eyes, and then Johnny looks downward. The pain is kind of evident on his face here, right? Nobody knows what to do. And there's one of the most crushing scenes in the whole show as Sam cries to Daniel that they did the right thing, and they still didn't win. Ah, uh, it's too bad Captain Picard isn't here. What, what is it he says? It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. 
Daniel tells Sam it's not her fault, but she runs off, and Daniel tries calling after her as his voice breaks. And this scene really hurts. It hurts because it's so well acted. It hurts because the characters came so far. And a few minutes later, Johnny's walking to the exit when Carmen comes up and tells him, One of the parents says she saw Miguel get in an Uber. What's an Uber? Of course Johnny doesn't know what an Uber is. I'm just a caveman. Your world frightens and confuses me. Reminding you that you can still laugh after watching something so intense. In fact, you have to laugh. Oh, you do. Johnny says he's so sorry and that it's all his fault. Carmen's going to go home. She wishes they could just have a do-over. Johnny says he knows the feeling. He's going to meet them at home later. Cobra Kai! Cobra Kai! Cobra Kai! Cut to outside the arena. We're finally leaving the arena. The Cobras are wearing athleisure and chanting Cobra Kai for Tori, who holds her trophy. Kyler's throwing a victory party at his place. Hope they have fish sticks. Oh, after party, though. Where's Stingray when we need him? Isn't that his specialty? Oh, right. Sorry. Tori says she's ready to go. She just needs to go in and grab her bag from the locker room. So the others run off, and she goes back into the hallway. So many fateful hallways after admiring her trophy. And she overhears Terry's voice as she walks past her room with the window, and she sees that Terry is talking to the ref who called the tournament. You know what? Played it just right. No one suspects a thing. As Terry reveals that he threw the match, Tori looks genuinely crushed and then moves down the hallway. Cut to Reseda, where Johnny is driving in the Eagle Fang mobile past the Reseda Flats Mini Mart. He slows and turns into the parking lot where he sees a for lease sign above the dojo he once rebooted. He walks into the dojo to engage in some dojo-stalgia. He looks at the walls he painted, including the motto that he stenciled. We get to see the flashbacks to season one. He's reflecting on that when he hears the bell above the door jingle. He turns to see who's coming in and is surprised that it's Robbie, dressed in flannel, jeans, and a t-shirt just like his old man. Robbie says that he followed Johnny. Johnny asks what happened here. Robbie says Cobra Kai is moving to a new location or multiple locations. Johnny tells Robbie that he kicked ass today and that it could have gone either way. Johnny misinterprets Robbie's silence, thinking that he's upset about losing to Hawk. It's just a match. Don't let it eat you up, trust me. It's not that. Um, it's this kid, Kenny. I thought I could be the mentor I wish I had when I was younger. But when he saw Kenny today, it was like looking in a mirror. It's like looking in a mirror. His eyes fill with tears as he says he screwed everything up. He says he had all this hate inside him for Johnny and Miguel. And he thought he could use Cobra Kai to control that. But it just made things worse, and now it's never going to get better. That's what Cobra Kai is actually good for. Johnny says it's not true. Robbie had a good thing going with LaRusso, and Johnny says he got in the way of that, and he shouldn't blame himself for that. He should blame Johnny. Man, Johnny really became Robbie's dad in this moment, didn't he? And Robbie replies crying, I'm sick of blaming you, Dad. And Johnny's eyes fill with tears as he pulls Robbie in for a hug. And Robbie cries into Johnny's shoulder. And Johnny's eyes light up as he tells Robbie it's going to be all right. And they'll figure this out. We get a long shot of them embracing slightly off-center in the empty dojo. With the space for lease sign visible in the window and the motto on the wall. Cut to... Terry's Malibu Dreamhouse. Terry pops a cork in a 1998 Bollinger. It's been sitting in his cellar for years waiting to dust it off. And Kreese quips, not unlike yourself. Terry concedes. I gotta give you credit, John. You reawakened something in me. Something I forgot was there. And Kreese raises his glass in a toast. 
Terry tells Kreese that he's surprised that Kreese backed off on Tori during the final, saying it's not like him to do something like that. Kreese admits he had a moment of sympathy. That's a first, Terry says. Terry asks Kreese if he remembers asking Terry what Terry thought Kreese's weakness was. And it's a rhetorical question, just so Terry can tell Kreese that his weakness is Johnny Lawrence. Of course, Kreese says that's not true. Terry says it is. He says that everyone has a weakness. Terry's weakness was Kreese. Kreese counters that Terry has it backwards and that he's Terry's strength. He says he's been Terry's strength since Vietnam. And Terry says, Yes, there it is. I can always count on you playing the guilt card. How many times do you expect me to repay that debt before we're square? Well, funny you should mention that, because it's at this moment that the trap is sprung. Sirens cut into the conversation as police cars pull up in Terry's driveway. Cut to Stingray in the hospital. It's okay, Raymond. The man who did this can't hurt you anymore. Give me his name, and I promise you I'll put him away for a long, long time. His name is Sensei. Crease. John Crease. And... In that scene, Stingray flashes back on Terry beating him to a pulp, and Terry telling him that if he wants to be Cobra Kai, there's something he needs Stingray to do for him. Oh, the old additional information trick. That's right. Back in the hospital room, Stingray tells the cop that Kreese assaulted him. It's the old classic. The pretend that your ex-army captain and his co-sensei convinced you to come out of retirement and, and win the Old Valley Tournament while also luring an unsuspecting patsy into a brutal beating just to frame up your ex-business partner for aggravated assault so he could get him out of the picture. Racket. And back at Terry's house, the cops place Crease under arrest for aggravated assault. Terry plays dumb, saying that he can dig up an old friend or two to help out with Cobra Kai while Kreese deals with his legal problems. I'm sure there's a bad boy of karate or three that could be willing to pitch in. So Terry's cheerfully evil orchestral theme swells, and Kreese tells Terry that he will regret this because I I am Cobra Kai. This is Sparta. Terry also tells Kreese that he'll take good care of Johnny Lawrence too. Yikes! And Kreese looks enraged, right? He resists arrest, so he'll probably face even more charges. And Terry plays a trill on an imaginary piano in sync with his theme. Terrence, is everything okay? Hmm, <laughs> cut to scene 24, Casa de Carmen, the Tia's Hacienda, where Johnny walks in to hear Carmen speaking in Spanish to Rosa. Yeah, she tells Rosa to show Johnny the note. The what note? note? Miguel's left a note, and Johnny hears it in Miguel's voice when he reads it. This voiceover is accompanied by Spanish guitar music and a montage of the tournament aftermath for Miyagi Fang. We get a quick montage of scenes here. The LaRusso manse where the family walks in looking shocked and devastated. Meanwhile, we see a shot of Miguel getting on a bus that will take him to Mexico and possibly to his biological dad, question marks. We also see a deflated crease sitting in a squad car on his way to be booked. The last few months have been a roller coaster. My injury, me and Sam, Sensei and Mr. LaRusso. Yeah, Miguel's letter is so very Miguel. The phrasing about all he's been through, like... And to figure that out, I think I need to know where I came from. Which maybe sums up all of Cobra Kai. All of the stuff that that the show has put on Miguel, at least. And at any rate, Miguel says that he thought that by focusing on the tournament, he could get over everything. And if he won, everything would work out. But he was wrong. And he also adds that Johnny was so scared to face his own past, and so is Miguel, but he has to find out where he comes from. So Johnny's face here looks just so sad, and Carmen says that she called the police, and 
doesn't know what else to do. Johnny says, as he would, Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to find him and I'll make sure he's safe. And Carmen admits then that Miguel's father doesn't even know he exists. Man, if he really is as bad a man as she said he is, then this could go real bad real fast. Yeah, Johnny comforts Carmen as we transition to an establishing shot of a valley sunrise. The next morning, the sun rises over the valley and we fade in at Mr. Miyagi's grave as Daniel describes all that he tried and that he has to give up his dojo and step down as a sensei. But Daniel says, There's too much at stake to honor an agreement made with men who have none. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, Daniel, somebody here gets it. Yeah, essentially Daniel's asking for permission to go on offense. Of course, if you have to ask permission, is that really going on offense? Baby Steph's calling. Daniel says that he knows it isn't his fight, whoever he is. And this is a lot to ask, but will you help me finally put an end to Cobra Kai? But if he's not talking to Miyagi, who could he be talking to? Daniel stands and we get the opening riffs to Switch 625 by Def Leppard as the camera pans around Electric guitar revs up to show Chosen standing just to the side, clad all in black, the best moment in all of Cobra Kai. Chosen says yes in Japanese, he will help Daniel. So he walks toward Daniel, and together as the music rises, they bow to Miyagi's grave. And then we get a final shot of them in the wider expanse of the cemetery before cutting to the end snake. And end snake, wow, what a season. That's it. That's all she wrote for Cobra Kai, Season 4, Episode 10. The Rise. The question is, just who or what is rising? Well, Chosen is definitely rising. That is for darn sure. Yeah, I felt, you know, until that final scene, it's like Cobra Kai is rising and we're toast. Mm -hmm. But Cobra Kai isn't the only thing Mm -hmm. coming up on the horizon. Wait, Chosen's Sato's nephew, right? Okay. I had a pun there, but it won't work. It's okay. Let's just say the nephew also rises. Indeed. Wow. Yep. Hemingway would be so proud. So we've got a lot to dissect here. We've got this pair of episodes. We've got the season in general. And then we gotta do our MVPs. So where should we even start? Well, I think that what we should do is just react to these two episodes as one, Mm -hmm. then segue into MVPs and Easter eggs, and then let's have a more global discussion of where this finale situates us going into season five. Okay. So let me start here then, which is the bold choice to basically sit in this tournament for two whole episodes. Yeah. Now, 409, the fall, it's kind of short, shortish. It's like 25, 20-ish something minutes. Yep. And then the rise is a long one, 40 minutes and change. Indeed. But again, they all take place in the same location for the most part. Once we're in the tournament, we're in it for the long haul. And you could make a case that you could cut this together into like a movie, like I said. But I think, one, it's a very economical choice because you have all your characters in one place. You're You're basically camped out shooting all this stuff for days on end, and you get a lot of material very quickly. Right. But the trick is making that dynamic and making it feel interesting, and it's up to the characters to carry a lot of that drama, like we... like. Like we noticed when we were doing the recap is like we spent a lot of time in hallways. We did. And it's very labyrinthine and there's not really a lot to visually draw your eye. And so it's up to 
the characters to really ground the scene and make it interesting and make it dynamic to watch. Yep, absolutely. So props to the producers and the creators for making this decision. Because in the original Karate Kid movies and in previous seasons of Cobra Kai, the tournament was very quick. Yes. But as the roster of characters has expanded, we've got to now follow them all through the tournament. I can only guess what would happen if we have to do another tournament episode are we going to spend even more time like are we going to have like a whole season in a tournament potentially if they continue at their current rate there will be a tournament in two seasons that will just you know it will be all tournament all the way down it will be tournaments all the way down as you say they do a great job of creating different spaces and social situations in this one kind of overdetermined space tournament making the tournament many worlds inside one world the other thing is that I feel like they really found their footing in season four with the balance between exposition, comedy, and character development. So that we have these longer scenes, but within them, people come in and out, things develop, Mm -hmm. and it breathes a little bit so that it can feel organic to what we already know of these different dojos and, and major and minor characters. And it's not very stilted. These two episodes, both of them, I love them. There were moments where it felt like I was watching the creators and the writers and all of the talent walk out on a tightrope and not know how they would find their way back. When they show us Miguel falling, that could have gone south in terms of storytelling very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, just having a redo of this, like, oh, the hubris, like Icarus, he flew too quote, close with this flying tornado kick. But, you know, and they tease us, like, of course you thought we were going to go to extremes with this and have Miguel back in the hospital. But that stingray tweaks your nose at what you think they might do because we're all so worried. Part of the deal with fandom is that people start to police it. You become sort of an anti-fan, mm-hmm. anticipating the bad moves that creators might make. Right. In this case, they know that. They know you're coming for them and because they've probably anticipated themselves. And It is much like a karate battle in and of itself. Yes, it is. It's a mind game. But they, they do a great job of like of like setting things up, dropping them down, and then keeping that low-level ambiance so that you really feel like you're in the show and not in a plot. No, you never feel the plot bearing down on you like you might in another big franchise. No, because it's sort of the pulpiness of this valley, you know, sci-fi world in which everyone does karate and they learn it really quickly. I've already talked to you about this. Mm -hmm. But that sort of is the place where you could put your doubts and your lampshades and just let the characters go. Exactly. And I I mean, I think that is the, the key... As you mentioned, they do a lot of little things to kind of bait and switch us up to keep things fresh and surprising. The Stingray thing was like, just as you were about to forget about what happened to that character, like you think that that character's out of the picture and you kind of let your mind forget about it. Then they bring him right back in as a very crucial element of this final episode's plot. Same with the very final scene where it's just like, oh, Daniel's talking to Mr. Miyagi again and he's going to feel sorry for himself. But no, actually, he's talking to Chosen and now things are now up and moving in a completely new tangential direction that you did not expect. But I just want to take a moment to, pardon my French, freak the fuck out about Chosen's return. It was thrilling. If you had told me that this guy that I found eminently watchable but mortally terrifying in the Karate Kid Part 2 would be the biggest hero moment in Cobra Kai. Mm -hmm. At least it was for me. What was your experience? I just lost my shit. 
Well, one, in the moment, like, when we stayed up last year to watch all of Cobra Kai overnight, it was quite thrilling to experience that first in our living room, right? Yes. And then I think about Paley Fest and how we got to watch that same finale episode in a theater and really, like, absorb it with an audience and... Again, at the very end, the audience lost their mind for Chosen. Again, this character who started out being terrifying, then got fun in the previous season of Cobra Kai when we took our little side trip to Okinawa. Now to have him potentially back as a regular character, and if these trailers for season five are to be believed, it seems like Chosen is here for the duration like he's going to be all over these new episodes absolutely i am and i'm here for it like this is this is a great development as we've said in earlier seasons like you know it's one thing for daniel to toe the line for mr miyagi and for miyagi do but to have other characters who also have connections back directly to miyagi do and to that lineage and that heritage is super important for the overall for the overall narrative of the show as well. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it, and it and it shows that even though Terry Silver understandably because Thomas Ian Griffith is just such a damn good actor. The machinations of Cobra Kai are very charismatic. Mm-hmm. There is a deep bench of Miyagi-Do lore, character development and feeling in that world that they it can also artfully extend. There's a lot of potential there, and that brings up my next big point, which I'll I'll kind of segue to here, which is that Terry Silver is all over these episodes, Mm -hmm. and we really spend a lot of time fleshing out his relationship to Kreese, his relationship to Cobra Kai. We get a lot of Cobra Kai lore in general. I feel that they might be setting up something similar with Chosen in Season 5 to where it's like, we're going to really go deep into Miyagi-Do. We're going to get a lot of lore. We're going to really flesh that part of the universe out in a big, big way in the same way that Terry did in Season 4 for Cobra Kai. I want to ask you, what are your, let's say, top three moments from these two episodes? My top three moments would have to be, uh, I guess I'll start with number three, which is Tori's victory and her, and the incredibly jarring discovery afterwards. Yes. That Terry rigged the All Valley. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a huge bombshell that's going to have repercussions that spin out all over the place next season. Like if like the only right now the only three characters who know what's going on are Terry the referee and Tori. Right. And Tori's not in really position to tell anyone because she's you know, for all her virtues, she is a low status character and it's not likely a lot of other characters would immediately believe her. Well, she just became high status cuz she won the AVT, right? Yeah, and she has no reason to tell anybody. No. Terry also has no reason to tell anyone. Except that Tori has a moral center mm-hmm. that we don't get to see a lot of, but we know is there because of how bothered she is by injustice. That's true. She is bothered by injustice, and now she is the direct recipient of it. Okay, that's one moment. Uh, She's also a perpetrator of it inadvertently. Indeed. So, 
moment two is probably Hawk's big victory. That mm-hmm. fight was outstanding. Hawk's journey in general this season has been outstanding and amazing, and it really culminates in a big way in these final two episodes. It'll be interesting to see what they choose to do with Hawk going forward, but for now, like, Hawk's journey from Cobra Kai through of his tribulations to through Miyagi-Do and now back out the other side is pretty outstanding. And then I guess the final one is the actual Sam and Tori fight was choreographed so well and has so much going on. It's outstanding. We have two of the three in common, and I will just go quickly because you've said many good things. I absolutely agree. Hawk wins is an incredible moment. Mm -hmm. I also considered, well, and I have it written here, Bonsai Badass, for the way in which Sam, before that Tori fight, from the Piper fight, but really the moment at the top of the fight with Tori, where Sam, you know, has asserted herself as a true Miyagi Fang, you know, Daniel and Johnny are there supporting her, and Daniel tells her, I want you to go be you. And she is the bonsai badass. That is, I think, one of the best payoffs in the show. So that was, you know, how I saw that fight. I considered Tori. I considered actually Tori when she defeats Sam and then asks if Sam is okay. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I put that one to the side because I think the moment alongside Hawk's victory and Sam's sort of familial victory is the moment that Robbie effectively comes to Johnny as a son to a father in good faith, and Johnny is able to be a father to Robbie. Like, those three scenes, a major catharsis, you know, surprise catharsis that you didn't know you needed from this show. We know we need Johnny and Robbie to be okay. We know we need someone who has truly been schooled in as many techniques as possible to win, right? Hawk. We know that Sam's anger had to go somewhere, and and Daniel has been so stubborn for such a long time. We know we love Daniel and don't want him to be like this. It makes sense that he would be somewhat stubborn, but that resolution is just a huge moment in in the show and a great catharsis for a season full of frustration that is, you know, understandable, but also engineered for maximum storytelling. Exactly. Yeah. So those are my three moments. We spent a lot of time talking about this episode in the recap section and i think that again like it works it fires so consistently it's a well-oiled machine and i think that it's evident in the watching like all the fights are legible and clear about what's going on you know the the way that they handle the tournament stuff keeps it interesting and while not being too complicated and even then like you have daryl and the other characters and like devon to kind of walk the viewer through exactly what's happening and in the tournament itself is designed in such a way that it's anybody's game right up until the last second Mm -hmm. which you know if only real sports in real life were so well designed so as i was saying this these episodes are just a well-oiled machine that tick along and and again it's a great lesson for anybody putting together any sort of like action or sports show like do it like this 
You mean do it like these two episodes? Do it like these two episodes. There's actually one more thing we have to talk about before we get to the MVPs. Mm-hmm. And that is the Carrie Underwood moment. Ah, yes, the Carrie Underwood moment. When that happened, the first time we saw it, we both just sort of sat there with our jaws hanging open like, what? It's an interesting pull. I mean, I guess Joe Esposito is not available. Well, Joe Esposito has to come and do the best around at the very end. I think they would they would know better than to leave that out, right? Mm. But when we saw it, we knew that it would be polarizing. We were like, this is kind of weird. It sounds good, but this is weird. Mm-hmm. And people aren't going to like this. Some people will be great with it. Some people won't like it. And I'm wondering, like, what is so polarizing about it beyond the, you know, oh, she's, that's not, you know, Johnny Lawrence does rat and, you know, queen and not, you know, pop country. Why? You know, what what do you think the underlying factors in that weirdness are? Well, one, I would just, okay, well, what I think the underlying weirdness is, it felt like the real world intruding on this universe in a strange way. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to make little you know side jokes about real world things like you know a louis anderson joke here or a reference to you know madonna or you know striper or whatever bands johnny's into or to like hang out with d snyder or to hang out with d snyder that actually made a lot more sense yes it did as a guest star moment and as a as a johnny moment that felt organic if it had been like bananarama i would have lost my shit right exactly you you know you would think that would be the obvious choice and maybe there was a more obvious choice on the table that just fell through or whatever. I mean, I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback these things. I think the thing is, now having recapped it and watched it a few times, well, yes. having watched it multiple times, I'm just at a point where this is fine. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it wouldn't have been my first choice. But, you know, again, it, it does what it needs to do, which is it provides a fun, like, guest star moment. It's an interesting and novel way to do a old school karate kid montage right exactly and also i agree with you that it's not just that it's the real world intruding it's a view to real world pop that seems at odds with something grounded in the 80s you know it's not like the duffer brothers synth people came and made music this is carrie underwood yeah that said it's perfect for the joke that in the valley karate is so big Karate is so, so big that Carrie Underwood would perform at an under-18 karate tournament. That's genius. Well, she's doing a favor for Master Ron. Well, yeah, because Master Ron's so great with teeth. Yes, exactly. I mean, don't underestimate Master Ron. Never. Never. Would never. So, okay, I'm glad we talked about that. Having said all that, Carrie Underwood is not one of my MVPs, so we should probably get on to the MVPs as soon as you're ready. Because I'm going to ask you, who are your two MVPs? All right. Here we go. Yep. So, for boys MVP, I rolled over a few options in my head, but the obvious choice just kind of jumped into it at the last moment. I thought maybe Hawk, but Hawk already won the tournament. So he kind of has his moment in the sun. Daniel and Johnny, both fantastic in this episode, you know, patching up their differences like learning from the Utes to synthesize the karate. But I think after careful consideration, 
I'm going to have to give it to Miguel. Oh, that's a good choice. So, boys MVP for 409 and 410 for me is Miguel. And here's why. It's not just that he turns the plot on its head at the last minute. Kind of, you know, he's been on a journey this season. And this is kind of the final brick in the wall to where he finally just... You know, he's been dropping these little hints this entire time, and then finally he decides to commit to looking for his father in Mexico, despite everyone's insistence that his father's a bad man without really going into specifics. Yeah. It's that he finally, like, fulfills the true promise of Miyagi-Do and doesn't fight. I can imagine maybe when they get back together in season five, Johnny would be very upset at Miguel for backing out on a fight because he's very upset with everyone else who backs out on fights throughout this entire season. Yeah. You think Johnny would be upset with Miguel or be, or do you think, I think on some level, sure. Or do you think he would be upset that Miguel there's a difference, right? Because like he's been blaming himself for that. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. But all the same, it's a very important choice that Miguel's made a strong choice. I think that is why he got my MVP, because he made probably the strongest decision in the entire tournament and in Cobra Kai up to this point, which is to commit to this thing that that has been bugging them, that he needs to do for his own closure. Like, he's respecting his own boundaries. He's doing his own thing. He's striking out on his own. And it'll be very interesting to see where this journey takes him next. But in this specific episode, him going from being reticent to almost being reluctant, being reluctant to almost fighting his friend, to almost re-injuring himself, and then that finally gives him the push he needs to leave. <laughs> so let me talk for a minute because you may be swaying me to the Miguel side of the equation. So when I was considering the MVPs, I mean, I considered the adults, like the grown-up cast, and I was mm-hmm. like, as ah, but it really was a toss-up between Miguel, Robbie, and and Hawk. For you know, and I drilled down because it's really gratifying to see Eli win after all that he's been through. You know, Eli the White returns to us now. That that's a runner for a reason when we talk about this show because, you know, it happens. It's it's a gratifying thing to see. Miguel, for all the reasons that you listed, the character that I chose was Robbie because Mm. Robbie, he looks like when you're just watching this episode and you desperately, at least I, some of you out there want Cobra Kai to win. I didn't because I think they're scary. Well, I think that Cobra Kai under Terry Silver is scary. So Robbie is like a blunt instrument of that, but he's also learning, knowing, witnessing, changing on screen. Like these little movements that... Tanner Buchanan does like he averts his eyes when things are happening he shakes his head a little bit when he's been in like in a dark side fugue slaying on the mat and then in the end he comes to Johnny in good faith which is something that Robbie has never done before ever that's right it's tough because both Robbie and Miguel are change agents for the show yeah but what you said is really key because Miguel's decision to go to Mexico which they have Sholo showing us We don't know yet what he's going to do, but we know he's not going to do what's expected of him. Like, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, in his letter, Shallow mentions the fear of encountering his father and that Johnny also has that fear. I think there's some foreshadowing there of unfinished business that Johnny has with his own family. And Miguel grounds all of that 
and it works in Sholo's voiceover. It works in the way that he interacts with all the different characters, as you see in his eyes, that he knows what he's giving up. Mm-hmm. Right? He's making a choice to give something up. So I don't know, because I think that Tanner's a great actor, and I think that Robbie does some really important work walking the line between you know, evil and then turning back into quote-unquote good. I think you make a great point for nominating Robbie. Yeah, I okay, I think you fair. should lock it in. All right, locked in. So Robbie, for me, Miguel for you. All right, well, congratulations, Robbie and Miguel. You're like, MVPs of this show in which you now to get... Well, it was such a big ensemble cast. That's it, hard. It could go any way at any time. It, girls or women's MVP. I'm yes. giving it to Devin. It's a daily double market. What? Yeah, see? Here's my card. Wow. Yeah. Here's why I'm giving it to Devin. All right. Because Tori and Sam both do incredible fight choreography. Right. They are, in a way, canceling each other out because they're so great in their own ways. No, I, I think they're, they both have great arcs this episode. I think they both put in fantastic performances. We see rare sympathy and empathy out of Tori and we see the I mean we see the fulfillment of Sam learning to like synthesize her aggro nature in this episode it's fun to watch both Peyton and Mary play those sides of those characters but at the same time they're also main stars and they'll have lots of opportunities to shine as and as they have this entire series. And they've both been MVPs before, so they're not missing out on this, but I think we both want to highlight Devin, and I will let you lead with why you want to highlight Devin. Well, first of all, we made it to the end of these episodes, and I still remember who she is, despite the fact that all of these things happened. Her dynamic with Johnny is really strong, and Devin has natural chemistry with the Eagle Fangs, and... You know, she's so sure of herself. She goes in, she fights, she makes it to the finals, she loses, but she comes out, you know, as as pissed off and ready to go as ever. And she's still generous enough to do some math for us. And she's just a classic Cobra Kai character that's there to ground us in this extremely dizzying scene. Exactly. Of the finale. Well, I'll tell you why I nominated her for slightly different reasons. I mean, you bring... Those are great points all, but you bring up the idea of of archetypes and different character types that are on this show. I think the the show has a lot, has done a lot of great work fulfilling, like when Tori first, you know, appeared on the scene, she was basically like femme fatale. Samantha has gone from being like good girl to bad girl to quasi good girl again you know we've have moon who's you know very like crunchy granola fashionista mm-hmm. but one archetype that i that seems to be kind of a modern invention but i'm here for it is this idea of devin being like this liberal kid with anger issues yes the angry nerd yeah she's like she's nerdy she's good-hearted but also she wants to punch somebody in the face at all times it's a very fun idea for a character and i think there's a lot of fun that can be had and hopefully in season five we will see a lot more of her as we check in with eagle fang throughout the year so yeah that will be amazing to see okay So we have our MVPs on lock. Yes. 
What about Easter eggs? Do you have a favorite Easter egg from these two episodes? I I have one kind of aggregate Easter egg, which is just this idea that they watch the tournament scenes in Karate Kids 1 and 3 very carefully. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these little, like, these a lot of the cutaways and reaction shots are almost, like, shot for shot from those movies. Like, a lot of, like little cutbacks to like crease and silver kind of like nudging each other the same way that crease and Johnny would like nudge each other in the tournament in karate kid. You know, this show, one of the reasons it shines is just the time and attention that it cares and the time and attention that it pays and the love of its source material to the point where it's like it, other franchises may engage in these kinds of, references but Very it'll be precious it'll be too precious about yes. it to where it's like we have to do the exact same shot and use the exact same kind of cameras it's like you don't necessarily need to do that people will get it if you just capture the spirit of the thing mm-hmm. with the occasional like you know angle or the occasional like camera shot like that that's enough nostalgia is a funny thing because people don't necessarily want even though people will tell you that they want the exact thing that they used to have, they don't actually want the exact thing they used to have. They want the feeling of the exact thing that they used to have. And that's a big difference. That comes in a lot of different forms. Exactly. My form in this episode is, again, it might have been my favorite Easter egg from the last tournament, but Bert holding up his fist to Johnny, the way that Johnny and, and Creasy did their fists <laughs> in the first, or Creasy did his, first in the, his fist in the first Karate Kid one tournament. But that's just an adorable moment. And I love that Johnny and Bert have that kind of understanding. Bert's, you know, true blue eagle fang. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. So it's very simple. That's my Easter egg. Fantastic. Yes. Ready to get into larger questions? Another question I have. Go on. Which is predictions about death and relatives. And the reason I created that section is because... The showrunners have been Mm -hmm. talking about the fact that two characters on the show will be related and that one or more characters will be sacrificed for the greater good of the story or the greater good of whatever. I have a feeling that Miyagi-Do is going to be set on fire Mm -hmm. because not only was there a burning bonsai tree in one of the previews, but I just have a feeling because... It's sort of the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. And midway through the show, Hawk desecrated it by taking Mr. Miyagi's medal, and that was upsetting enough. So now I think that on the table is some sort of real destruction. I think that is a defin- distinctive possibility. I am also scared that Chosen will die. Again, also possible. It would be a weird, if final, way to complete his character's journey, but it also feels like we're just getting to know him, so taking him off the table so soon as we're getting to know the quote-unquote real Chosen seems like an odd choice. I feel like any death... And also, I don't know. It's... (laughs) I think Stingray's gonna die. Damn, Colin! I mean, not... For, I mean, it would be a real shame just as we're getting to, again, just as we're getting to know and like Stingray. But I feel like Stingray dying, like, not only serves the utility of some of the plot lines, but it also 
you know, take Stingray off the table so that he, for one, like, can't reveal that, you know, he was part of this whole scheme to set up Crease. Another poss- if he dies, it'll be cheap and off screen and no one and, you know, it'll just be like a newspaper headline or something. <laughs> I think Terry may die. That would be interesting. Because, you know, and and I wouldn't have thought that. But around the time the showrunners are talking about someone dying, we also see Terry bringing on new recruits as Cobra Kai sensei, some with a deep history mm-hmm. of of practicing the art. So it seems possible that. Something will happen to overthrow Terry. Also a possibility that Kreese dies. I mean, that is also a real possibility. Kind of in the same category as Stingray in the sense that him not being in the picture ties up a number of plot lines so that the writer's room doesn't have to worry about them anymore. (laughs) So there is a utility in it as much as it would suck. But like I said, you know... Part of Crease's redemption is also Terry's ascension. So, you know, it seems to be that trope of, you know, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger villain. So if Crease was the big villain kind of like coming into the picture at the end of season one and then he gets usurped by Terry at the end of season four, it makes sense that maybe Crease gets taken off the table completely or that someone even bigger comes along yes. to usurp Terry, which would be very interesting, but it also lends credence to your theory that Terry is the one who's marked. If the show kills Chosen, I will have a problem. If the show kills Terry, I will be like, dang, how are you going to heighten now? Mm-hmm. If the show kills Crease, that would be interesting because I do think that Redemption is in the eye of the beholder, but a character like Kreese has certain, you know, beyond the question of redemption, has certain motivations. One is to protect Johnny, so he has skin in the game beyond his authoritarian vision. Two, because of his authoritarian vision, he's not really compatible with the valley of the the present or the future. And I don't think he's the kind of character that is going to change that much. So I could see him dying so that they could have a final route of, of Terry in, say, season six or whatever, a final yeah. showdown. That segues into the question of relatives. I can't think of two people more likely related than Crease and Johnny Lawrence. And I don't want that to be true because it's so pat, but it just seems like an arc that's about to meet itself on the line when both, you know, we're seeing reveals that Johnny is, is Crease's weakness at the same time that Johnny is telling Miguel... And he doesn't even know what he would say to his father, like it's his undiscovered country. So I can't think of two characters more related unless it's like, you know, Mike Barnes is Tori's deadbeat dad or, you know. Very possible. A possible possibility Mike Barnes is coming back. But like, you know. Or Jessica is, is Tor- one of Tori's aunts or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the Tori's good, good fairy aunt. Uh, that would be amazing. But I just, I think that that they might either that. <laughs> or Jessica is Devin's mom. <laughs> maybe they're Maybe they're throwing us off the track, but I think that. We're closing in on the end of the show. It won't be this season, but we will be closing in on the end of the show. And they might be giving out ideas because they want us to be prepared. True. But it also could be fake outs all the way down. They've done this before as well. Do you think that there are relatives that will be revealed on the show? I think that that is a distinct possibility. I don't think that... Who's your guess? Chosen and Daniel. 
What? Sure, why not? They're karate cousins. They are, exactly. I, my two choices. Or Chosen and Miyagi. Chosen is Miyagi's secret son. Ooh. Ooh. No. Okay. So I, that would be great. As long as let, let Chosen live, it's fine. Just let him live. Don't, don't take him away. Okay. So I think the most likely candidates for a relationship are Crease and Johnny. Sure. I used to joke that Terry Silver might be related to Miguel because his father is a bad man. But that could still happen. That will resolve itself on this trip to Puerto Rico standing in for Mexico. Yeah. So I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Miguel and Mike Barnes. Possible. Also a bad man. Mike Barnes could have done some work in, you know, in Latin America for the cartel or who knows what. Exactly. I don't know. I'm going to say Crease and Johnny because it's just it's swirling around that. But it could be a fake out. I'd be I'd be happy to be right if they do it right. And I'd be happy to be wrong if they do it better. I'm glad we had this talk. Any final business before we close, before we gavel out? Cousin Ness and Julie. Cousin... I don't know how that would work. I have a feeling that Cousin Ness might be related to Daniel LaRusso. Oh, okay. Call it a wild guess. Uh Uh-huh. I just, you know, I have a feeling. Well, then, on that note, I feel like we've tied it up. Yes, we have. We tied it up all in a neat little bow. That's all you need to know. That is. About Cobra Kai in season four. All together, but also the fall and the rise. And the fall and the rise. So, with that, I remind you to, if you like these episodes, please rate, like, and subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcatcher of choice. Follow us on social media. Our ta- our tag is at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, and Karate Kid Pod at gmail.com. If you like the good old-fashioned email, please send us emails if you have questions, comments, or just something to say about the show if it's you know if you bring up a question we haven't asked then we might ask we might answer it on the air we will see we're also on facebook we're everywhere you want to be but definitely uh, if you like what we're doing here and you want to see the show grow spread the word until then yeah speaking of spreading the word we will be spreading the word about season five after we see it despite what this week would have you believe we do a spoilery we do uh, a reaction. We will do a. We always after a season drops because of the way Netflix does it. Our recaps are too complicated to do them all at once. We episode. do a spoilery reaction episode to the entire season as a yes, whole. Indeed. After season five drops, then in a couple weeks after that, we will start dropping recaps of every episode. And who knows? Maybe we'll drop a surprise episode or two along the way. Doing all these episodes with such a quick turnaround has definitely taught us a thing or two and we now have a we now have a mechanism for doing tighter turnarounds if we need to you know the feeling that hopefully without the hubris but you know the feeling that terry silver has on the preview for uh, season five when all the other senseis step off the private jet like that's how i feel about our podcasting ability now well good without the hubris that's how we should do it so until next time with cobra kai season five react We'll see you on the other side. We'll see you on the other side. I've been Colin Kennedy. I remain Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse.
Are You Karate Kidding Me? is hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com with questions and comments. Or find us on social media. Use the Twitter handle at karatekidpod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckring Media. Just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you.